one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Online, DAB Digital Radio and 1089 and 1053 AM. Get in the ring and go the distance with Fight Night. The fight starts now. With Gareth A. Davies. I don't think he's going to get up. Talk Sport, the home of boxing. Yes, it's that time again. It's fight night here on TalkSport. I'm Gareth A. Davis. In the studio with me tonight, Spencer Oliver, the former Commonwealth silver medalist, former European super bantamweight champion, my old pal, brilliant to have his company tonight in a packed three hours of fight talk. We'll hear from Eddie Hearn. We'll talk AJ versus Lennox Lewis and that dust-up in the desert that's coming up. Luke Campbell joins us on the phone. We'll look ahead to Anthony Yard going into deepest, darkest industrial Russia next weekend against the WBO light heavyweight champion Sergei Kovalev. Bob Arum, the legend himself, joins us from Las Vegas on the phone to talk Tyson Fury. Dillian White's brother, Dean White, pops into the studio. He is the size of a barn door. Let's hope he can get inside the studio. And you'll hear an hour of the most intriguing history, revelations, and just basically a brilliant hour of boxing chat that I had on a cricket ground with Barry Hearn. That's all coming up next. Solid. So, very solid. But listen... I mentioned, people don't often say this about you, Spencer. They remind you at the Commonwealth Games. It's 25 years ago, by the way. Victoria, Canada. You'd forgotten. You, you got all red. You got a big <laughs> no, grin on your face. Silver medal. Talk us through you know what, what the Commonwealth Games was like back then. I'm, I'm, I'm amazed, Gareth, that you've actually remembered that. It was, it, like you say, it was back in 1994. That was some 25 years plus now. Um, yeah, it was incredible. You were um, 19. 19 years of age, yeah, picked up a silver medal. I, I thought I was robbed of the gold, actually. Wow. It was close. Robbie Peden. Is it out there on YouTube? I don't know if it's out there It'd or not. It'd be great to watch it. I mean, the thing is as well, you know, listen, I covered your entire pro career and obviously it came to an end and I always celebrate this when I'm with you and I will always say this. Um, obviously, you, you you had a brain injury and uh, it's brilliant to see you in full health. Sergei... Um, uh, Devakov. Devakov in 1998. That's nearly 20 years ago now. So, yeah. you know, it's brilliant to have you around anyway. And and let's celebrate Michael Watson in his 50s now mm. because he was the guy that sued the board to put the, the, the medical provision and safety in place that ultimately saved your life. 
Michael Watson. I think what happened to Michael Watson changed the medical science in boxing. I think that, that a lot of people learnt from the, from the injuries that Michael sustained. I was the next injury after Michael. That's right. And I think that I benefited so much from what... Um, and we become very close after that. Michael helped me for a very difficult time. Um, but the difference between myself and Michael was that obviously the procedures were there on, on site as they, like they wasn't for Michael Watson and, and, and I was taken care of inside the ring. They sedated me in the ring, which switched everything off basically and The golden and hour, my they life. call it now, don't they, with the anaesthetist ringside so that you can put someone into a coma-like state sure. so that the brain doesn't get us more damaged on the way to the hospital. It's an extraordinary, it's an extraordinary science, frankly, you know. It certainly is, yeah. And I think that, yeah, like I say, because of the, the, the tragic circumstances that Michael was in and, and, you know, and thankfully he pulled through, but he was in a coma for something like, you know, 20-odd weeks plus, I think it was, um, because of what happened to Michael, the medical procedures with the British Boxing Board of Control and the most stringent boxing board, by the way, um, in the world. Um, they learnt from Michael's mistakes and, um, yeah, thankfully I'm here to tell the tale. And it's been a funny week because we have had two tragedies in the ring in the last um, couple of weeks. We have had, you know, UCAD drug testing, we've had lots of spats, we've had... We're going to talk about Anthony Joshua and Lennox Lewis in a bit, but first of all, uh, Anthony Joshua and this fight in Saudi Arabia, the rematch with Andy Ruiz, his nemesis, the man that created a seismic shock in the heavyweight division on June the 1st at the hallowed uh, fighting venue of Madison Square Garden where he knocked Joshua down three times and stopped him or had him stopped in the seventh round. Um, what do you make, first of all, of the move to Saudi Arabia? Is it just a business decision? You and I know that Anthony Joshua will probably earn may, twice, maybe even three times what he's ever earned before for going to the Middle East. Yeah, I think they wanted it on neutral ground. Um the Middle East, in Saudi Arabia, the government had offered ma massive money. They'd be silly not to take it. It, it made sense for, for both parties. Um, and so the fight's going ahead there. And, um, you know, I think the thing that worries me, Gareth, is, you know, historically through heavyweight rematches, the ones that are made straight away without any warm-up fights or whatever. Sonny Liston, Muhammad Ali. Absolutely. They all tend to go the same way. And mm. this, is, this is a big worry for me now. Mm. I know Anthony Josh was supremely confident. He wants to put the wrongs right, etc., etc. I'm not sure it's such a great move. I think he should have had a couple of warm-up fights because stylistically, Andy Ruiz Jr., and we were talking about this before the show as well, stylistically, Andy Ruiz Jr., He's all wrong for Anthony Joshua. He's short. Anthony Joshua doesn't like fighting short guys. And what he does is, he when he when he's under attack, he comes back with clusters of punches. Now, Anthony Joshua, we know, we were talking about, goes back in straight lines. That's a worry for me straight away. And, it, and, and Andy Ruiz's key shot is the left hook, and that's the shot that Joshua does get caught with. You know, so all these things worry me and worry me a lot because is six months enough time to put the wrongs right? That's what I'm going to have to say. And no. also, Gareth, just um, just before you come in, we were talking about as well, the thing that really worries me is, now I know they say, oh, you know, Anthony Joshua now, he knows what he done wrong, but the, but the, the ring walk, when he comes to doing the ring walk... You know, those those demons are going to come back, and that's a big problem. Yeah, the, the, listen, the fight details uh, we could talk about all night, and we, we will talk all the way for the next five months. One of the big issues overshadowing it, of course, is the human rights record in Saudi Arabia and the, and the backdrop to all of that. Um, just to add something to you said, it took Muhammad Ali after he lost to um, Joe Frazier in the fight of the century in 1971 at Madison Square Garden. 16 fights before he fought George Foreman in Zaire, by the way. Three years in the making – 
to win back the world heavyweight title. I don't blame Anthony Joshua and his team and Eddie Hearn for going for the rematch because it's three belts in one swoop. It is a very tough assignment, but I caught up with Eddie Hearn earlier on in the week without the fighters there, and they were talking about why they went to Saudi Arabia. No, that's complete rubbish. Andy Ruiz has signed a contract for this fight um, a long time ago. His team were aware, and actually they're happy because they didn't want the fight in the UK. It's one of the reasons we, we took it to a neutral territory. But the main reason was looking at the vision of Saudi Arabia, not just for this event, but what they're doing for boxing. We've seen them host the World Boxing Super Series. We've seen them host the Amir Khan fight. And beyond that, we've seen them host Formula One. We've seen them host um, the tennis. We've seen them host... Um, the WWE, we've seen him host the European Golf Tour. So as sports promoters, we've been watching. And I'm one of every other promoter that's been trying to be landing a huge fight in this territory. So I'm delighted to achieve that. Um, there was all kinds of different offers on the table from all kinds of different venues. Saudi won. Saudi were the one that showed the vision and obviously put the money up as well to say, no, no, we don't want to talk about it. We actually want to get into action here and invest in the sport of boxing. And I can't be naive enough to think that boxing only exists in Britain and in America. There's a whole other world out here, and I think this is a major moment for boxing that could actually change the sport by Saudi, by other territories, investing in the sport of boxing and trying to host mega fights. How have you responded, uh, first of all, to you, Eddie, to the fact that you know when it was announced uh, you know, eight days ago, as it is now, that... Um, the, the, the fight was criticised by Amnesty International that uh, Anthony Joshua was urged to think again about going to Saudi, that the human rights record was put up there at the top of the, the, the frame, if you like, in news terms. Did you think that you'd get criticised for going there? Of course, it was a big decision for us. And we had to look at it carefully, but we had to understand the market, do our research, and we had to follow in the footsteps of major organisations, which it hurts me to say, considerably bigger than Matchroom, like the European Tour, like WWE, like Formula One, who have been there, have enjoyed success, have done longer-term deals in the territory and have embraced a new market. Um, we've talked with Anthony for years about staging event. We've had dozens of discussions with uh, not just Saudi Arabia, but with Abu Dhabi, with Qatar, with Dubai, who have tried to bring events, but Saudi were the ones that delivered so I can't tell you this is a surprise. We always knew that the Middle East would be a massive player in the sport of boxing. Now it's coming true and we're excited. You know, we knew the criticism would come. A lot of stuff we've seen frustrates me because I know it's not the case. You know, I'll give you an example. Fans can't get into Saudi Arabia. I mean, absolute rubbish. When you buy a ticket for this event, you'll be automatically issued with a visa, a 30-day visa to stay beyond the event as well if you want. Women aren't allowed in the event. Absolute rubbish. Everybody is welcome to this event. You only have to look at the clips being played from the David Guetta concert. 40,000 people, you know, dancing, enjoying themselves at this concert. So the perception is very different to reality. As far as the other stuff you're talking about, I'm not a politician. I'm a boxing promoter, and this is a massive opportunity for the sport of boxing. Um, let me ask Omar, um, you know, welcome to the UK, Omar. Um, how do you, presumably you're having to combat these things all the time because there's this term used by news media, sports washing, um, over the criticisms they have in the Middle East or in Saudi in particular. Um, is sport coming to the Middle East creating change there for you the whole time? And as Eddie's just said, is there no issue with women coming to this event and uh, women traveling to the event and so on? Exactly, that's true. So first of all, change is coming in a very uh, rapid pace. Um, women are welcome 
without men or with men. Um, there is no issues with the visa. It will be instantly issued upon buying the ticket online. And we look forward to welcoming the world. How, how important is it to Saudi to, to have these events? For the, Like you say, you, you both said so many times in the news conference that you know 70% of the population is under 24. Um, there's 40 million people there. So by my estimation, that's 30-odd, 32-odd. That's a lot of boxing fans. That's a lot of boxing fans, basically. <laughs> and a lot of sports fans. Are the young people of Saudi Arabia after change? 100%. 100%. And, and such events can only feed this change. What is it like getting a global figure like Joshua, even though he's fight, facing his nemesis, Andy Ruiz, who's beaten him once in New York? What's it like getting a global figure like Anthony Joshua to Saudi? Well, it's not the first time we actually had a lot of international events hosted in Saudi, and this is only a continuation to the, uh, the uh, focus of the Saudi government on the change. When, when you say, Eddie, that this could be a massive change, mm. is it a multi-fight deal you've done? No, it's a one-fight deal, but I just know that once they see the response of this fight, when you've seen it already, the response of this fight, you know, whether it's positives, whether it's negatives, the curiosity of this event will make people watch. And when they see the success of the event, when they see the logistics of the event, when they see the arena that's being purposely built for this event, you're going to be breath... It's going to take your breath away. Are you, so, are you saying that we might even see down the line, Anthony wins his belts back, yeah. let's say, we might even see the fights with Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury quite, quite in possible. Saudi? Is quite, that possible? possible. Definitely. Yeah, at the, at the end of the day, Saudi want to bring all the biggest sporting events to Saudi Arabia. So Joshua against Wilder, right now the biggest fight in boxing is Joshua Ruiz. Saudi Arabia have got it. So this is just the start for them. This is why I'm saying the potential is so great because it doesn't stop here. You know, and this is a continuation of an investment in boxing. This isn't a country that are coming in and saying, yeah, we just want a massive event and then that'll do us. This is someone that's saying, no, we're investing in gyms, we're investing in physical activity, in the sport of boxing to promote boxing. We're a World Boxing Super Series. We've an Amir Khan fight. We've dipped our feet in the water. Now we want the big one. And they've got it. What about the prospects of getting Katie Taylor on this card just to show you the world that, you know, women's boxing can take place in Saudi as well? Well, the undercard fights still haven't been finalized, but um, you'll hear more information once we have it done. Yeah, she's actually due to fight in November. But, you know, I mean, ultimately... We want to build the best possible card out there, and this will be a huge card uh, because, again, this is a one-off event for now where we have to show you know, Saudi Arabia, the people, the government, that boxing is where they should be investing their money. Is this another flag in the ground? You know, the most talked about and watched fight in history is the rumble in the jungle between um, George Foreman and, and Muhammad Ali, 1974. Yeah. But remember, there was, you know, Mobuto was in power then and no one seemed to be criticising him bringing an event there at the time. Thriller in Manila was the year after. Yeah. Do you think it could potentially I be see, remembered like I that? I see this being exactly the same mould. I see this being an iconic event where people from all around the world will be watching saying, what our curiosity. You've been to the World Boxing Super Series, right? It was a very impressive event. There was no issues. The arena was spectacular. It was full up. The logistics were bang on. Everything was great. So this is, I see this as exactly those kind of moments and a moment that fight fans will look back on as a major, major moment in the sport. It was the next best one. We looked at all avenues. Uh, you've, got the, you've got Fury, busy, Wilder, busy, Ortiz. Um, he had his issues, so he didn't step up to the challenge. 
Um, the other guys weren't as good as Ruiz. Ruiz was keen. Finally got his name on the signature and the show must go on. It was 1883 when John L. Sullivan rocked the early MSG. We've seen the greatest heavyweights defend their prize world possessions in this mecca of boxing. Jack Dempsey, Joe Lewis, Joe Frazier, Larry Holmes, Lennox Lewis, Vladimir Klitschko, so many, and of course, Muhammad Ali. What a stage, what a setting for AJ's US launch pad. good it's a little blip a mistake I made and then um, I'll say that I'm just gonna add to what we already have correct my wrongs and look forward to the rematch because I feel it's a fight I can win just feels like the sand in the desert doesn't it i'm gareth a. davis you're listening to fight night on talk sport in the studio with me uh, my old pal and once professional boxer now brilliant broadcaster spencer oliver knows the game inside out nuts and bolts and you also know anthony joshua inside out we were listening there to a brilliant package of course the rise and fall of anthony joshua right now can he rise again in the dunes the dust up in the dunes against andy ruiz december the 7th on skybox office of course probably zone in the United States. A massive payday awaits him. This is a very, very high-risk, high-reward fight, Spencer, isn't it? Yep, certainly is. This is a huge risk. I mean, listen, bottom line is if he pulls this off, this will be one of the biggest turnarounds in, in, in boxing history. Um, he's up against it. Make no odds about it. You know, this is a difficult fight. We looked, we all made this mistake, Gareth, last time out of, we saw Andy Ruiz Jr. We'd seen him before. We saw him against Parker. He pushed Parker all the way. We knew he was a good fighter. We saw them both on the scales and we thought, Ruiz has got no chance. It just looks like physically, the physicalities, he, it looked like he had no chance and he proved us all wrong. And it was a tough fight from the first bell with Anthony Joshua. Yes, he had issues going in, but it was still a tough fight. And the second one is going to be even tougher. I mean, I know Joshua is, it believes in himself and I know he wants to go out there and put the wrongs right, but it's a huge gamble. There's a lot of armchair um, experts, aren't there? A lot of armchair geniuses in boxing when things go wrong. Um, one of the things that I would say um, in the whole build-up in that week... Um, Anthony Joshua was too relaxed. I, I saw him nine days ago. I did a filming session with him uh, at BXR Gym in Mayfair um, with with, the, with a betting agent, William Hill, and we we I had a good chance to speak to Anthony off the record. Um, he wants to be more patient in the second fight. He will not hand over belts ever again to someone in fight week. He will never take someone non-seriously again. I went to see Andy Ruiz myself, you know, at Legends Gym in Los Angeles about 17 days before the fight. Andy Ruiz didn't have any time to get nervous, remember, like it was his big moment. He just had this big moment. He suddenly had Christmas, loads of Christmases rolled into one. The biggest opportunity he will ever get in his life. I've said it on TalkSport a couple of times in the last couple of weeks. Spence, 18 months earlier, he got $30,000 for a fight. It's an extraordinary change around his life. 
now that he's moving on to Millionaire's Row and carrying bling and meeting the Mexican president and being celebrated everywhere as the chubby Billy Bunter that won the world title in a seismic upset, is there a an edge, a hardness that might leave him going into this fight? Because he's he's just to go over... Um, what's been happening in the last couple of weeks. And, and some of us, you know, we dig around behind the scenes. He said he didn't want to go to Saudi Arabia. He was worried about his safety on that Instagram live chat that he did late last week. And then he removed it, by the way, because there are negotiations going on for the finer details. Eddie Hearn's in Spain at the moment. David Avila, um, Al Heyman, all these guys behind uh, Andy Ruiz are, are just looking at the finer points, the VADA testing, the the food even that he's going to get when he's there, how many of his family members can come, how the safety of his family, his mother is, you know, he's, he's got a big family, he wants his wife there, he wants David Avila's wife there. I met all these people um, at the Madison Square Garden fight. They're a great group, um, Andy Ruiz's people. Is he just for you leveraging a bit more than £7.5 million? And is he going to have softened by the star treatment that he's had all over America in the last couple of months? Well, look, when you go from earning $30,000 in your last fight to, you know, several million dollars, and we're not sure how much it is, and I think he's even trying to push for more at the moment, and that's maybe the problem. Look, the fight is going to take place. He's signed the contracts, and it will go. I think they've just got to dot the I's and cross the T's, but there is a possibility he can soften up. Now, we remember that classic fight with Buster Douglas and Mike Tyson. Buster Douglas, the massive 40-1 underdog, comes in, shocks the world in the biggest upset of all time, and then he gets his first offence against Holy, Ho- Vander Holyfield and was totally, so- up, he? Was totally up. softened up. Yeah. So, you know, it, there is a possibility that can happen, but from what I've seen in Andy Ruiz Jr.'s training for this fight... He doesn't look like he's softened up. In fact, it looks like he wants it even more. You know, I think he's tasted the limelight and he likes it. You know, and he realises that if he can beat the cash cow Anthony Joshua again, the kingpin at the moment of the heavyweight division, if he can pull off another victory, and he starts underdog, by the way, which surprises me, but he does start underdog. um, If he can pull this off again, he's set for life. Now, that's enough motivation for me for him to come in, you know, 100%. For me, it's for me, it's a fifty-fifty fight. Um, I, I think um, I do think it's going to be amazing. I do think it's fascinating. I mean, my feeling overall is that um, if Anthony Joshua loses, it's a very, very long road, uphill road, a real climb up a, a steep precipice to get back this credibility. Or even his aura of invincibility is gone, as you say. Mike Tyson was never the same, really. Uh, after the defeat to Buster Douglas in the Tokyo Dome in 1990. It wasn't a great moment for him. Uh, we'll talk about Mike Tyson and Tyson Fury getting on a podcast together later on with Bob Arum. But um, finally on this, um, is there is there a way that um, Anthony Joshua... Uh, has got the advantage by going to a neutral territory that he's not going to have to walk, <clears throat> excuse me, he's not going to have to walk to the centre of a ring in the Principality Stadium with 90,000 Brits there and that it is going to be easier for him out in the desert rather than kind of being at home where he's never lost before. I, I say this in a kind of counterintuitive way that... You know, we know what happened in Zaire in 1974, that it was under a dictatorship of Mobuto Sesiseko. We know that the thriller in Manila was, you know, under martial rule and, and real cruelty uh, from Ferdinand Marcos, the, the president of the Philippines, um, when, when Ali fought uh, Joe Frazier for the third time. 
Is there an advantage in a way of it being cocooned over there and being politicised and turned into a kind of human rights news story that it actually takes the pressure off Joshua a little bit? Totally. Totally agree with with what you're saying there. I think it does take a lot of pressure off Anthony Joshua. We know that, you know, how much pressure's on his shoulders. He's got a lot of sponsors that he's got to keep happy. He's got a lot of pressure that, you know, that he's got to go, keep winning and, and keep going. Now, you know, we, you're right, Gareth. He's, he's, he's entering a 50-50 fight and it's going to be, you know, it's, it's a real flip of a coin here. I think that if Anthony Joshua can stay disciplined, stick to the game plan and keep it long, not allowed Ruiz to get inside, he can pull it off. But there is a chance that he could lose again. But yeah, I think going out to Saudi Arabia is a good move on Joshua's team's behalf and on Anthony Joshua I think that they've they've got it right there because it does take away a lot of the pressure very very interesting it's going to be a fascinating four months as we build up to that fight um look uh, AJ's been in the news later this week as well um rowing on social media as we always see these days with uh, a man who already is a legend uh in the heavyweight division uh the former undisputed heavyweight king Lennox Lewis let's just hear from AJ after he spoke to Sky Sports um our mate Anna um, in a, he's always good with Anna actually she's asked him some very very deep personal questions before and she gets great things out of him he spoke to Anna earlier this week about Lennox Lewis I guess the likes of Lennox Lewis came back from massive losses Lennox twice. is a clown, I don't respect Lennox he created a legacy though so, so am I that's what I was about to say. Is this all part of the legacy? Are you it's aware nothing, of how nothing big the legacy compared is? to what Lennox is doing? Nothing. Me and Lennox aren't the same. My legacy is to sit back and enjoy the younger generation coming up, and not to really be involved. Just appreciate what what it takes to get there. Lennox isn't like that. Me and Lennox are cut from a different cloth. Lennox is a liar. Lennox is a clown. Lennox mm. is cut from a different cloth. Um, but let me ask you the first question that everyone wants to know. Maybe AJ isn't at his best, but who wins out of that and at their very best? Well, AJ and Lennox. Yeah. Well, right now, I think that Lennox's legacy's been cemented already. We've seen what he's done. and No, he destroys Anthony Joshua. Just say it. Yeah, I'm just... I'm going... Listen, give me a chance. I'm saying <laughs> Anthony Joshua's still very much on a learning curve. If we're talking about right now, yeah. a peak Anthony Joshua and a peak Lennox yeah. Lewis. Lennox Lewis wins. We know that. Exactly, I agree. But uh, no, but I think the the Lennox Lewis, even at twenty three fights, was raw. It would have been a great fight. It would have been a great. But for me, the sad thing about that, Spencer, is that um, I've spoken to Lennox about Anthony Joshua, and he's very fond of him, and he likes the way he carries himself. And it's interesting. I think it's a sign that Anthony Joshua feels under fire. You got a theory that he read something wrong from Lennox, haven't you? Yeah, now I spoke to Geraldine Davis um, and Lennox... His agent. His agent, agent, yeah. yeah. And, and Michael she, Watson's agent. That's right. And she, Lennox was going to come onto our podcast, but he ref, he's, he's now said that he doesn't want to do that because Who, he wants... Whose podcast? On, 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 our podcast. Not on, 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 on our podcast. You get You're rid of Jake Wood. Podcast. You get rid of the EastEnder boy. <laughs> yeah? Because yeah. you, you, know you know I bash him up, wouldn't you? And <laughs> if he's listening, he knows it. Oh, listen, I know he is listening and he's told me that he'll bash you up, but that's another story. He we always can talk says about that. that, right. <laughs> but I, I, I'm, listen, I was happy to do it about... Bethel Green last time round the ring apron at the York Hall but he wasn't keen listen, and he had his mate from EastEnders there with him as yeah, well yeah Scott Maslin was there as well yeah but listen Scott's training him at the moment and all I'm <laughs> saying is he's in training and he's ready for the call he's waiting for the call 
Well, you, you on, on on your podcast, Toe to Toe podcast. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, not Toe no, to Toe. Toe, toe yeah, pound for pound. So I got it wrong. Pound for pound on Toe to Toe with Jake. What? What? And why wouldn't he come on then? So the reason he wouldn't come on was because he didn't want to get involved in all the political stuff, getting onto the social media and etc. etc. He said that he knew that Anthony Joshua was upset. He doesn't think he thinks that he's just losing his head a little bit at the moment because of the pressure that he's, un, he's under. He said all he was trying to do was give him some cr- constructive criticism, and he feels that Anthony's taking it the wrong way. So he's going to sit back and just let things die down. And they'll probably meet offline and they'll talk it through and do what. Listen, they had a good relationship before, and I think that he was a good mentor for Anthony Joshua. He's been there, seen it, done it, and he's been where Anthony Joshua is right now. He's done. He's had the defeats. We saw it against Oliver McCall. We saw it against Hussein Rahman. So he's been there and he was just trying to help Anthony and tell him what he needed to do to turn it around and, and, and I saw a quote that he did actually make on Twitter saying that when he, Anthony Joshua said we're not cut from the same cloth and he said no you're right we're not cut from the same cloth because the difference between me and you is my legacy is com- completed my legacy is cemented yours is still very much at the beginning and, and all I was trying to do was help you No I agree I mean I, I follow Lennox online and he's just very clear very lucid about things and he's, he's not an insulting person I think it was a moment where I, I, I wondered whether it was a, a staged comment to to get publicity at one point actually, and whether, uh, but having watched the video again and again, I think it was just Anthony being very sensitive. I do hope they get together and, and clear it up because, frankly, there's no need to criticise a guy who isn't one of your rivals because Lennox does care about the heavyweight division and he cares about boxing. There's no doubt about it. You're listening to Fight Night on Talksport. I'm Gareth A. Davis in the studio with me for the next hour and a half. Spencer Oliver. Now he's got a fight in September. He's fighting on the 14th September in Vegas. So he's got that, and hopefully he'll come through that fight. But you're building up for this rematch, and this rematch, I think, provided he, that he's, Deontay's got a fight, I think, in early November against Ortiz, provided he comes through that, that is going to be a huge fight. So they both got to win, win their, their respective fights. However, in heavyweight boxing, anything can happen, and I mean anything. You're listening to Fight Night on Talk Sport. That was Frank Warren. Um, we're going to talk about Tyson Fury right now. Um, it, it was announced last week. Uh, in a, it's kind of soft launch, if you like. Everybody knew about it. It was a badly kept secret in boxing that Tyson Fury would appear next in Las Vegas again, less than three months after destroying Tom Schwartz in a couple of rounds against Otto Wallin, ranked 4-11 and 11 by two of the world's governing bodies or sanctioning bodies for two of the belts. Um, IBF and WBO, I believe. I may be wrong there. I think it's WBO and IBF. Um, probably, again, like Tom Schwartz, ranked about 50 in the world. A limited boxer, 20 wins, 13 knockouts, but really not expected to be on any kind of level, boxing level, to compare with Tyson Fury. We're going to talk to Bob Arum in about an hour about um, what's going on in Vegas and the build-up of Tyson Fury on ESPN. Fans seem to be very unhappy that there's a kind of gimme second time around, but are there really ever gimmies in the heavyweight division like this? True gimmies? Well, I think at that level there certainly is, yeah. I think we saw that against Tom Schwartz, that they're, you know, they're, they're levels apart and, and, and also Wallin is no different to Tom Schwartz. I, I watched him and I watched him in a few fights earlier on. Tall Southpaw, not a lot of not a lot of head movement, very one-dimensional. Looks like, like Tom Schwartz. Yeah, he does actually. <laughs> Bit bigger and, than Tom Schwartz, yeah, for longer is. anyway, yeah. And stylistically made for Tyson Fury to look great now I think Wallet listen I think what the idea of this is obviously to get him more known to the American market also also to um, 
also to set up this big big return with Deontay Wilder that is talked about in February time if they both come through Deontay Wilder's fighting Luis Ortiz which by the way is a dangerous fight Ortiz is still dangerous but he is getting on a bit so those two these two guys come through so I think it's a little bit of a give me to make Tyson Fury look really good I think that's the only that's the only way that I can sort of explain it they can only buy one more of these, can't they? I mean, I'm going out for it. I, I, I follow Tyson Fury. In fact, I'm going to see Tyson next week in Las Vegas and his trainer, Ben Davison, um, kind of a pre-camp or pre-fight camp visit. Um, you'll, you'll be able to hear that on Fight Night next week when I go and see those guys. But the the... For me, obviously, they're building them in, in an American market now, though, and, and there's not so many... There is, you know, the American uh, fight media are very critical when fights, the right fights aren't made, but there's a, there's a there's a growing aspect to what he's doing in the United States. Bob Arum, we'll, we'll, we'll pin Bob on it later on mm. anyway and say how are they, in inverted commas, getting away with two of these in a row? Because the weird thing is, Tyson Fury, after losing 140 pounds... Have it fighting two literal nobodies uh, and then stepping in against Deontay Wilder and handling himself brilliantly um, is only going through the motions against these guys to promote his name on ESPN, to build towards the big contest, which Fury said this week on a you know on a, on a kind of a, a podcast, a vodcast on ESPN. Um, that it will be February the 22nd in Las Vegas. I don't know how watertight that is, but um, is there enough time between Deontay Wilder fighting in November and that fight being made in February? Well, pending what happens with the Deontay Wilder fight, because as I said, that's a much more meaningful fight, Deontay Wilder and Luis Ortiz. Um, I think that Tyson Fury should have had a stiffer opponent. I think that he should have had, um, you know, I know that you said that he's got a good ranking with the IBF and the, and, and the WBO, but if you look down the world's top 10 heavyweights he's nowhere near that he's nowhere near the top 20 30 40 and I think he should have he should have had a more recognised name Tyson Fury um, it just for- shows though how difficult it is to match people And look Bob Arum came out the other day and we'll ask him about it later Spence that um, he doesn't understand why Fury and Wilder aren't fighting now mm. um, and the truth is neither do I because this is a year if in fight sports, if we had had the right contests this year, if we had had, um, if Anthony Joshua had beaten Andy Ruiz, if Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury had, had their rematch this year, and then we'd had the third fight, if you like, the third wheel get involved in those three, Conor McGregor had come back and fought Nate Diaz and fought Khabib Nurmagomedov again, the fight industry would have made a billion dollars. Sure. And, and, and that's what troubles me at times, that there is a massive... Um, there's a massive thing to go on right now and capitalise, and I worry that we're going to lose it, which we did with Andy Ruiz upsetting the apple cart. Uh, If Otto Wallin upsets the apple cart, and this is the risk in heavyweight boxing, Tyson Fury's got flu in fight week, doesn't feel quite right, he's an inch or two off, he gets caught behind the ear, and he gets, you know, clattered, and he goes down in a heap and doesn't win, then... The world mocks boxing again. And and there is something, you know, it, it, it's painful at times. And the, the way that the chess game, it should be fast chess, not a long chess game in my view. And I do think the fans have been made to wait for the last few years. I totally agree with you. I totally agree with everything you've just said, actually. I think the fight should have been made. I think that they, you know, that we should have seen Wilder, Fu- um, Wilder Fury 2 by now. I think we should have seen Anthony Joshua, Deontay Wilder by now. I think that Dillian 
White should have been given his shot by now, and they are going on too too long with it. And it is all political, um, and certain things happen. Um, but yeah, we, we we need to get those fights made before they're not made. Um, and if they're not made, it's going to be tragic for the for the for the world of boxing because heavyweight. Boxing really is the pinnacle of sport at the top. And I think at the moment, if you looked at through the list of the heavyweight fighters, Andy Ruiz Jr., Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder, Anthony Joshua, Dillian White, um, you know, we've even got Derek Jazor, Joseph Parker. There's some big names there. Alexander Usyk. Alexander even though he hasn't Usyk. Heavyweight, yeah. yeah, well, he's making his debut in, in October. Um, Adam Kaunecki, I'd put in there Kaunecki as well. Kaunecki as well. Listen, that's what I'm saying. We've, this is the first time in a long time that we've had a top 10 where they can all fight. Daniel Dubois belong in that list yet? Dubois is definitely going to be belonging in that list. I think so he's coming up. So you've named 10 there. We've named our top 9, top 10. I agree with you on a lot of those as well. Yeah, definitely. I think that, and, and we could the list could Joseph continue. Parker. Yeah, we've got a young batch coming through as well. You know, so, uh, you know, and they're all going to catch up in the next 12 to 18 months. So your next 12 to 18 months could be very, very exciting. But we need these fights to be made sooner rather than later, no, I Gareth. Agree. I agree. You know, we had an amazing day here in TalkSport with Deontay Wilder a couple of weeks ago. And one of the reasons why he said, by the way, that he wanted to give Luis Ortiz a second fight is because he's got a disabled daughter like Deontay uh, has, a daughter with spina bifida. And I was very touched by that. He wants to beat him up so the guy can have another payday for his disabled daughter. You're listening to Fight Night on TalkSport with me, Gareth A. Davis and Spencer Oliver. Three-weight world champion Vasily Lomachenko. Vasily, welcome. We know that uh, having boxed all over the world as an amateur to fight in the UK as a professional was always very important to you. I don't want to talk too much. See you in August 31st, okay? Vasily! Hi, Pep Lomachenko! up that left hand before firing it off and a knockdown scored with a sweeping punch from the silly that is definitively the end of the fight and Vasil Lomachenko proves his outer class I do this for my history I won't be a history it's an opportunity for Luke Campbell just to tear up the script completely exciting that's the best word that comes to mind yeah what what a great opportunity Fighting the pound for pound number one. From Hull, Yorkshire, England, Gulen, Luke Gamble. And the crowds are on their feet here. Campbell has found the key. And Matthew's in real trouble here. He's going to have to throw something back fast. Biggest win of Luke Campbell's career. Anyone that goes up against Lemachenko is going to be an underdog. You know, that's, that goes without saying. And um, that doesn't really bother me. I'm here now and I'm feeling great. I'm positive, physically, mentally, the best I've ever been. And this is my time now. Luke Campbell there for, of Hull, of course, facing Vassil Lomachenko of Ukraine, uh, regarded by many as the number one pound-for-pound pound technician in boxing at the moment. The man who is really a featherweight, um, Spence will appreciate this, who is really a featherweight but fighting at lightweight, a three-weight world champion Spencer after just, what is it, 14, 14 fights. Um, an extraordinary technician. I, I, I made the stupid mistake, you know that head kick I throw of doing it at Vazel <laughs> when I was filming with him a few weeks ago in, in the ring and he jumped at me and threw a knee. 
because he does a bit of <laughs> MMA, and I'm not joking. I moved like a rhino out of the ring. I, I, I fell through the ropes. Um, he's a brilliant man, and and you know. It's extraordinary when you're around him. Luke's a long, tall southpaw. Vazel's a very compact, you know, five foot five fighter. Luke's five ten. There's a big range differential, but he's just so brilliant to be around. And he has his father's head, his father's face tattooed on his torso because he's dedicated to what his father has brought to him. This is a fascinating fight at the O2 Arena on August the 31st, isn't it? Yeah, it really is. I mean, as you said there, Lomachenko is pound for pound the number one fighter in the world today. We saw what he'd done last time out against Anthony Crawler, who's a great fighter as well, former world champion. But he just dismantled Anthony Crawler in four rounds, I think it was. And I spoke to Crawler after the fight, literally two days after the fight. I rang him up, asked what it was like to be in the ring with Lomachenko. And he said, Spence, in all the people that I've ever boxed, I've ever sparred, this guy was a little bit different. He said, when he punched you, it was like the punch stung you. It like it momentarily paralysed you. He said, I've never been hit with that. Like, the precision of punch, the accuracy, he said, and the power, put all those together. He said, and, and it was just something that was something quite special. Now, that's what Campbell's got to deal with. But you're, you're right, you know, the size difference was incredible with the two. Yeah, I mean, the thing is about Lomachenko, let's just, for those that don't know what he's done, 396 wins, one loss as an amateur, yeah? And two Olympic gold medals in Beijing and London in two weight divisions. He jumped two weight divisions to do that. For me, as well as, you know, Anthony Crawler, all well and good, I was there when he fought Nicholas Walters, who was a really tough customer from Jamaica, Spencer. He quit against him. And I use that with... I don't mean in in offence to, to Nicholas Walters, but he made him quit. Um, Guillermo Rigondo, one of the great boxers pound for pound, didn't want to fight him after, what was it, seven, six rounds, retired. Jorge Linares, TKO... 10 rounds Jose Pedraza um, he's an extraordinary he works people out like Mayweather did and then he just takes them apart yeah he does he's such a powerful guy for for his size and um, yeah you mentioned a guy there Jorge Linares now that's a common opponent um, for the pair of them and Linares beat Campbell on a split decision but you know I thought that it was a little bit wider than that if I'm honest so if you go into comparisons and see what what Lomachenko done to Linares he systematically broke him apart and, 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 and beat him into submission really so yeah this is a tough night for Luke Campbell he's going to need every single home he needs the home advantage he's going to need a little, little bit of on his side but unfortunately for Luke Campbell you got to feel sorry for Campbell really he's been against pound for pound star Jorge Linares when he boxed for the world title he gets his second world shot against uh, Vasyl Lomachenko who's pound for pound the number one in the world you know it's a difficult he's, he's had a difficult road Campbell but he's up for it I've spoke to him and he's up for it and he'll give it his, he, he give it his all but I'm not sure it's going to be enough I think it's uh, well I, I wish Luke uh, we were hoping to get him on the show tonight obviously he's deep in preparation what a great month we've got by the way in terms of interest for boxing with August the twenty uh, August the 31st or the 24th we're going to go to August the 24th in a minute and talk about Anthony Yard going to challenge for the World Boxing Organization light heavyweight title in Chelyabinsk uh, in Tankograd as it was once called because of all the T-34 tanks that were hundreds of thousands of them that were built there uh, 60, 60 years ago I think it was um, Luke Campbell fighting on the 31st 
Tyson Fury on the 14th of September. Within a month, three big boxing events. And we've needed this because all we've seen is uh, controversy in the last month, you know, with Saudi Arabia, with Dillian White and UCAD and so on. Um, for me, you, you're saying that you think that Vasyl Lomachenko has far too much for Luke Campbell. I mean, have you got a, have you got a tight prediction at this stage? I don't think it's. I don't think far too much. I think that that that. I, I think that Campbell. You know, he's proven. He's a proven world class fighter. But he's he's Lomachenko's on on another level. And I think that. I just think that Campbell would do well early. And I think that once Lomachenko works him out, like he's done all the other great names that you just mentioned, I think once he does that, then I think he'll start breaking Campbell down and he'll get to him late on in the fight. That's my prediction, and I hope I'm wrong because I love Luke Campbell. He's a great guy and he's a great ambassador for the sport. Um, you know, he's an idol that kids really should look up to because he lives, he sleeps the sport and, and, and he's done everything in in it. But he's just up against a great guy. Look, we um, we see Anthony Yard uh, a week tonight go on to the toughest uh, event of his career. Um, a very bold step to go into Russia's industrial heartland in this bid to dethrone Sergei Kovalev, who, of course, won the WBO title uh, against Nathan Cleverly in Cardiff. I'm sure we were both there. I certainly was in 2013. And he really first signalled himself, the man from Chelyabinsk, whose father was a welder and his mother a, a crane driver and a forklift driver. They live in California now. And Tundia J made the point to me, um, Yard's trainer and manager, made the point that... Yes, he's from this very tough place, Kovalev. He's called the crusher. Um, you know, he, one guy even died after one of his contests, if you recall. He hits very, very hard. He lost twice to Andre Ward, where he lost a bit of his shine, if you like. But he's a very dangerous opponent. 16th world title fight. Anthony Yard's first world title fight. 17 knockouts in 18 fights. Anthony Yard goes there with. He's a specimen physically. He's a big puncher. But he has not been anywhere near the experience this guy's got. 51 rounds to 163 in their professional records. This is a big, big ask to go into the, the heartland of Russia and take this title from this very, very tough man. Yeah, it certainly is. I mean, um, Andy Yard is a great prospect, and that's what he is, he's a great prospect. But I think he needs to have gone into the trenches before to got to step up to someone like Kovalev, boxing in his backyard. Listen... Gareth, that's going to be a tough job. It really is. Kovalev, the only hope that he can have is Kovalev's 36 years of age. He's lost three of his last six and the wheels could come off at any point. And as you say, uh, he's nine years younger. Um, we, this is the fight when we really find out how good or where Anthony Yard really sits at at the moment. You're listening to Fight Night on TalkSport. Dean White in the studio with us next. You're listening to Fight Night on TalkSport. I'm Gareth Davis. Spencer Oliver is in the studio with me. We've had a rollicking first hour. And now we've just squeezed a man bigger than a barn door through the studio door and into his seat. I'm joined, we are joined, by Dean White, who's become rather a feature on the boxing landscape um, in, in the rise of his brother Dillian White. Um, to to the highest ranks in the heavyweight division. Good evening, Dean. Nice to have you here. Good evening, gentlemen. How, How are, are you, mate? I'm good. Yourselves? Good, yeah. thank you. Where have you come from tonight, then? Uh, and where are you going afterwards, and are we coming? <laughs> I always want to feel... I'll ask you that question. You know, <laughs> I've actually come from a, a funeral, you know? Oh, I've wow. sorry to that. occasion. Yeah. Um, uh, someone I grew up with, 
um, passed. So, you know, I thought I'd show my face and condolences to those guys over there and stuff. But um, he, had a, he had a good send-off. A lot of people he was liked. And, yeah, that's where I've come from. Sorry to hear that, mate. Yeah, me too. Um, look, it's, it's lovely to have you in. I haven't had a chance, but you and I have had a lot of fun on our William Hill shows with Cheeky Sport Dave, David Alorca. <laughs> but yeah. we haven't had a chance to to sit down. And, you know, you, you've carved a niche for yourself, um, uh, smoothing the careers of several boxers at the moment. Um, I want to ask you, you're a huge man. Mm-hmm. Have you ever been involved in professional boxing were you headed towards MMA or boxing and you know, if not why weren't you uh, professional boxing no um, I had a few probably white collar boxing I did Muay Thai mainly real brutal sport um, came from like a wrestling Jiu Jitsu kind of background did a little bit of um, wrestling comps and stuff like that so uh, you know that that was my passion UFC was my real passion before boxing. You're not the type of guy that really you would want to be held by, if I'm honest, because you're a big, strong <laughs> guy, man. I think that that would be a difficult situation to get out of. No, yeah. I'd be trying to hold him on the floor. That's what I'd be trying to do. I'd be trying to get him down, keep him on the floor, because that's where he'd be the least dangerous. No, I listen, think. I know. No, actually, I'm actually pretty good on the floor. Oh, and you I rolled, move, you? I move, I move pretty fast also, but, you know. Dillian I, I, says I, you've only got two rounds in you, by the way. Yeah, there's not much. I, do you know what? I say that. I'm getting, I'm getting older, but I'm actually going back to strength and conditioning, so I am getting a bit, you know, a uh, bit stronger, a bit fitter. But what I have got is a lot of power, so, you know. Listen, in you the know two what, rounds, we'll see what happens. You know what Gareth A. Davis would try and do to you? He'd try and kick you in the head, because that's what he tries to do with everyone. He's got this thing at the moment <laughs> where he's, you know, he's trying to kick everyone. I think it's a test to see how high he can actually get his leg. He's doing quite well no, as well. He actually kicks pretty well. He does. He showed me on numerous occasions just saying, hey, this is my foot, your mouth, they can meet together. <laughs> And uh, make good harmony if you miss around. Listen, you can't, you can't play fighting, and I'm only playing. I want to emphasise that, okay? So I'm only playing, and it is never serious. Dillian is not speaking at the moment. We know the whole UCAD situation. Everyone knows the, what's happened in that story in terms of, you know, the, the fight with Oscar Rivas went ahead. There was a hearing on the day of the fight. Eddie Hearn's spoken about it. Um, tell us what it's like behind the scenes, Dean, e- even if you can't talk about details. How is Dillian? Because just, we haven't seen him. What, what's going on behind the scenes? Well, just to clarify something, it wasn't on the day. It was a, I think it was the day before. So, uh, mm-hmm. so they've had a hearing either the day before or... The, the leading up days anyway. And um, they provided evidence he was cleared to fight. So if 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 the panel are obviously happy what evidence he provided at the time, you know, the fight was gone on and obviously he won. And then obviously he was tested again by Varda, which was obviously clear also. So moving forward now, his mind state right now, he is a bit saddened because he didn't get to Asking the glory of being a world interim title holder, you know, he'd he'd gone so many days looking for this moment, training his ass off, you know, to get to this position, to only be being marred by the the allegation of of what's gone on. So 
It's an interesting one because I spoke to the WBC president, uh, Mauricio Suleiman. I believe I saw and, that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. We, I spoke to him on our podcast just a couple of days ago. This and, is not an advert for your podcast and, tonight, and, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> pound for pound. And, um, As we're doing yeah, that double D podcast. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so Mauricio <laughs> said that he first become aware of this through social media. You, UCAD hadn't contacted him. He knows that he'd passed the VADA testing. So he's, I, I asked him, well, why have the WBC banned Dillian White then and he said to me he's never been banned he's not banned he said until this is all cleared up he said he's still got his mandatory status and he's still you know until, until proven guilty he's not banned he said they so I don't know him. no they just no, lifted, they said, lifted the interim yeah, title holder they said, the he said he doesn't know where clear. that come from that, that he'd been banned because he's not been banned he said it's just that you've got to go through them court procedures with UCAD but I asked him then why are the B samples taking so long to come back what is what is that all about? Because they said it was an adverse um, finding in in the in the um, in the samples, and he he said that he didn't know what the what the why the procedure was as long as it was. Which again, I found very strange because we've been in this sport, Gareth, for a long time, and I've not known. I've not known it so long for an, a B sample to come back. I don't need Dean to clarify this for any reason, but I'm not absolutely certain that a B sample is even an issue here in this because that is what I, my my you know because this is a complex story. I mean, I spend a lot of time talking about it behind the scenes because it's it's very sensitive, it's very complex, it's very under legal jurisdiction at the exactly. moment, and people saying talking about A samples and B samples, frankly, at the moment, don't know what they're talking about as mm -hmm. far as I'm concerned, from what I know. But I want to know Dillian's mindset. And when you, when does he believe and when do you believe this will be clarified if you can clear it up? Do you know, I'm sure, as we all know, Dill is quite an outspoken person. Emotional so, even, yeah, uh, you know? Very. So in this instance here, not being able to talk is probably being detrimental to him and killing him not being able to talk about the situation. Which Get he, that completely. So he mm. is battling many demons at the moment. You know, he, he's, Is he all right? He, he's, he's good, you know. Like, I speak to him, we go and train, you know, get him out of the house, and, and he's, he's on it, you know what I mean? Obviously, there's moments he kind of just doesn't understand, you know what I mean? Like, and just thinks... This is—he just doesn't get it. It's you know a I mean? frustrating time exactly. for him. A very so, frustrating time for him. And I, 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 you know, I think that it should have—it should have been cleared up for him. But I saw a quote Eddie Hearn made as well a couple of days ago, saying that he believes that Dillian will be fighting again before the year's out. Yeah, that's what I've heard also. So you know, right now he's training. We're we're doing boxing here and there. Um, couple strength and conditioning sessions. Just getting him out of the house instead of him just sitting in there and just kind of thinking it over and being frustrated and wallowing in the moment. For Here's one for you quickly, Dean. So when do we think it's going to be cleared up? When do we think that's going to happen? Do you know what? I'm not going to pretend to have the answers. I don't. But, uh, you know, over the next few weeks, I'm sure we'll get a bit more clarification because obviously in time, everything becomes revealed and, and is, is, is just clear as day. So, you know, I'm sure in the next few weeks we, we should hear something. You know what I mean? I do hope so because we need that clarification because we need him back in the mix in a heavyweight division that really is going to be moving in the next six months and he's going to be moving into the positions that he ought to be. And you're listening to Dean White there, Spencer Oliver and me, Gareth Davis. It's fight night on TalkSport. We're back in a minute. Don't call it a comeback.
You're listening to Fight Night with me, Gareth and Ava Spencer Oliver, in the studio with me and our guest, Dean White, brother of Dillian White. Listen, we were talking about the issues with Dillian uh, in the last uh, section of the show. I want to turn to you now. Um, y- you look like a fighter. <laughs> you, 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 you're a huge man. Um, tell me about growing up, because I know that you and Dillian, I mean, I've spoken to Dillian before about pulling bullets out of his leg with pliers and <laughs> getting in scrapes <laughs> when he was growing up and being a bit of a bad boy and what was it tough for you growing up, both in, in Jamaica and in South London? Do you know, in general, growing up as young men is, is very difficult. It's a bit probably even crazier now. But, you know, growing up, we, you know, I, I had a lot of issues, just like my bro Dillian. Um, if you're from a particular area, if you're not part of one gang or another, then you're in the middle, you're neutral. So then you could become the prey. So... <clears throat> you had that kind of thing, you know, and South London, East, West, wherever, North, wherever you wanted to be from was a similar thing. And I actually used to go around a lot. So I used to get in, you know, issues all around the place. I thought I was a tough nut. And, you know, like when you go about, you meet other tough nuts and you get into stuff. But yeah, we, you know, we've, we've, we've had a, we've had our fair share, you know, um, growing up, I'm pretty well known in my neck of the woods or London in general, to be honest, you know, um, and uh, I've I've grown up a lot since then, you know. But you know, I'm sure everyone's had some form of a past that's led them into a better position. Or if it hasn't, then their time will come, you know. And that's just life in general. The, the, you've you've famously uh, mentioned before about how you and Dillian actually you're both emotional characters, um, and and actually have a go at each other sometimes. You stop the car for a scrap sometimes. I think we've actually got that on uh, Dillian's Instagram because I think you. He just smashed me on the chin one day. <laughs> I was actually driving, and then he was videoing it. This was this was about this was a little while back. This is a long time ago, though. But this is like maybe maybe ten years ago, maybe something like that. But I remember Dillian from ten years ago, yeah, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's a, he's a very reformed character because he was very fiery as well. <laughs> yeah, I remember no, no, the guy no. well. He's still like that, man. You know what he is? Is you know like um, he, he just understands. You, you know, there's a time and a place for it. And I think he says most of it for me, to be honest. You know what I mean? He always says, listen, you're big enough. You look like a heavyweight boxer. You look like someone I want to destroy. Maybe Joshua, actually. <laughs> so, so, so he had to put his phone down after filming, kind of slapping you, right? No, challenging you up. No, and then... he'll probably, he'll have it and then he'll crack me. He's not, you know what I mean? He'll crack me and then he wants to laugh about it and then post it. And I think... I think I even posted something on my um, Instagram the same day. I remember I was living. Listen, I just pulled up. I stopped the car. I said, listen, we're getting out. Get out of the motor. We're going to do this here. Bloody forget this. <laughs> you, 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 you mentioned growing up, and I've been around you and Dillian for long. Yeah. I, mean, I knew Dillian when he was a, a kickboxer and was yeah. was headed to MMA years ago with, around yeah. Joe Long and people like yeah, that. That's how I first Joe met Long. Dillian yeah, time, through yeah. Joe Long years okay. ago. Um, and... Um, was there ever a time where, you know, we got a UFC 241 event tonight where wow. the heavyweights, Daniel Cormier, Stipe Miocic, Anthony Pettis, Nate Diaz, and then a massive card all the way down. It continues to go on. Yeah, I'm tonight. Uh, yeah, exactly. Tonight uh, in Anaheim, California. Was there ever a time where, I know Dillian was headed towards MMA, you know, yeah. and Joe Long was around it, because yeah. Joe was telling me, because I was covering MMA as well at the time, that I've got a guy here who could well be like Jimmy Manua, but he's a heavyweight, because Jimmy's a light yeah. heavyweight. Um, and Jimmy's from the same neck of the woods as you guys, and you know each other, have trained together. Yeah. W- were you keen to be going no, into MMA at exactly. that time? Exactly. I, well? I was on the same path 
in fact, I probably took it a little bit more serious. I actually went to um, America. I was down in um, Fort Lauderdale. Um, what was it in Coconut Creek with the with the top team? American I didn't go there. Team, I no. was meant to go there. I ended up in um, Fort Lauderdale. Yes, and I trained over the there. There was a guy. A, a heavy, he was a heavyweight boxer, actually. Funny enough, the gentleman who owned the gym, and Pretz. Pretazelli, do you remember Pretazelli, yes. the UFC fight? Yeah. He trained at that gym, funny enough. And I used to be down there training with those guys. I was down there for about six weeks. I went to a couple of amateur shows there. And I really mainly did like, just like, you know, catch wrestling. I used to watch a lot of the, the DVDs, catch wrestling, learn, and, and, and did a Muay Thai. So I was down there, I was training with them for a while. And I went to Brazil, I was in Sao Paulo for a while, and I, I was doing jiu-jitsu. So I was actually at a time where I took it quite serious. Was it an escape from, not an escape, but I, was it a way out? Was it a way out of, it, were you it, looking at riches? Were you looking at being heavyweight I, champion of the world? i tell you what it was. It was an escape from the streets, really. You know, from being um, idle, being out on the, 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 the pavements, getting into stuff, you know. And um, it gave me a channel. So if I found a home, the, the coach used to say, listen, buddy, leave your ego at the door. You might be a bad boy out there, but when you come in here, you got to listen to my rules and play by my game. If you don't want to do it, you can get out. And uh, there was some hard times. Muay Thai, we used to be at Red Dragons. Listen, there was beasts down there. There was some real tough guys. I used to get whacked up by some short guys in that stocky. And I'm like, bloody hell, if I can't beat this kid, what am I doing? But then, you know, you just challenge yourself. And then you come back. I say, I'm not going back there again. I'll beat him up outside. Don't worry. I know how to do this. <laughs> but then um, I kept coming back, kept coming back and pushing myself and got better and better. And I just kept competing at that. And um, it took me away. It, I tell you what, I'm not, you know what? Even now, when I think about it, it's quite weird that you made me kind of realize the direction it took me because I, I, maybe I didn't realize it at first, but it kind of took me away from there. And then obviously we um, was working together, and then Dil was like, "Oh well, you know what? I'm thinking of doing Emirate. Actually, let me do boxing." So then we kind of sort of just went over to that side, and it just continued where we put so much time in in the in the gym. I forgot about all the other bad stuff because I weren't around to get into problems or, you know, because I, I was training three times a day. So I literally would train, go home. I'll pick him up, I'll take him to training. We'll go, we'll link Jimmy Manuel, we'll spar with him, we'll wrestle with him, we'll do kickboxing. And I just didn't have time. He didn't have time. We didn't have time anymore to get into issues because we were just so focused on what it was. And I was just like, yo... This is what he wants to do. I'm a little bit older, but I'm saying my bro's going to be the champ. And I always used to say that to people. I was like the biggest advocate. And I always used to say anywhere I went, like, this is my bro, he's going to be the champ. You don't need to watch out for him. You know, like that kind of thing. So I'd push him as hard as I could. And I'd spar with him as hard as I could because, you know, he's going to come up against guys as big as me and like strong, like, you know, he's going to punch and try to take his head off. And sometimes he might not have liked it because he like he used to go, hey, buddy, you, you are, you're punching with some bad intention. I'm like, well... When you get in with them, them lummoxes, they're not going to be friendly, mate. So, you know, and um, here we are today, you know, it's no, a mad it's a, journey. It's been a great journey. Yeah, I mean, listen, that's a classic example of boxing or sport or MMA giving kids a, an opportunity, giving them discipline. That's, that's, Turning that's, you that's into the, proper men. That's what it actually and, and does. Responsible men. 
and it, and it, and it no, puts definitely. you on that path as well. Like, we've seen that, and I saw that. Well, I've known Dillian now since he was an amateur, since he beat Joshua as an amateur. Mm-hmm. Known him right from back then, and I've seen the character change. And boxing really has done that, and it's given him that. It's given him a road to, a, a path to follow. No, and Dillian's a good path. changed and matured. Yeah. No but, question. But with mm-hmm. Dean's telling his story as well, I'm saying that it, that's a, another classic example that, you know, boxing, MMA really does give you that. I've got a massive that. regret, though. I'd love to have seen you fight in some of these big fights. I'd love to have seen you against Stipe Miocic, Francis Ngannou, against yeah, Daniel yeah. Cormier. Do you know what? Who's my no, size, but a lot animals. wider. No, but no. But I know what you mean. I, I get it. The fantasy matchups, I, I, I you know. Well, then fantasies it. can become a reality, can't they? If you follow the dream. I mean, look at your brother now. What he's doing. Like, who would have said that? We look back when you know when he was boxing as an amateur, when he just got just got himself into the boxing. Who would have said he would have reached the heights where he's at right no, now? He's, he's That's a like, classic example. That if you follow so your dreams, I thought he. I thought Dillian in two thousand and eighteen. I know there's a. Um, you know, a cloud hanging over him at the moment. But you know what I've written about Dillian. You know what I think about him. You know how I've worked with both of you in on, in lots of spheres in terms of writing and broadcasting. He was one of the standout boxers in 2018. He was Absolutely. extraordinary. But it was great to see him... I mean, he's fearless. You know him. He, no. He's absolutely fearless. fearless you know, matured in that time. And that's what it is. I think after the continuous wins... The stellar wins against Lucas Brown, against Joseph Parker, against Derek Chisora. Brilliant fights, learning fights where he's had to come from adversity. Getting Proper you know, heavyweight entertainment fights and as by well. The, and by, by the, the way, way guys, yeah. they're, all those fights you named, them world-class fighters that you just named there, Joseph Parker, Derek Chisora, he didn't need to take those fights. He had his position already. You know, so you got to hand it to him was brilliant. Up. It was brilliant. 600 days on the sidelines as the number one challenger as well. That's why it's so saddening for all of us. I mean, God knows how you guys feel. So saddening for all of us to see what's happened in the last month. Let's talk about you again for a minute because you as you say you've been instrumental you've been right beside Dillian as you say sparring with him driving him you're in the Loughborough training camps which has been brilliant as well over the last 10 fights but you are promoting not promoting you're managing a lot of fighters you mentioned um, Shaka Stevens a lot of guys tell us about some of the guys you're now looking after well Shaka and uh, Pitters is from Burnham Shaka and Pitters sorry no no it's all fine Shaka and Pitters is from Burnham a light heavyweight He's fighting on September the 14th on a Frank Warren show. He uh, won the Ultimate Boxer. So he won he? the Ultimate Boxer. And he's what weight is he? He's like heavyweight, 175. So he's fighting for the English title. So it's, it's actually a good card with... um. What's the gen- what's the young boys? Do you know that card there? Let me have a butchers. I can't remember what that. Card. Sonny Edwards. Sonny Edwards. Headlining he's it, actually yeah. very good. Mm. He's, he's very good talent. Sonny Edwards. He's got um, Brad Foster versus Luchin Reed. Uh, Zach Chelian versus Cody Davis so the card's stacked um, and um, Shakan should be live on BT Sports and we should have a new English champion and I'm just building him you know with um, his how team. does that man Shakan who I've met with you I, I, th- I, I was calling I him Shakan exactly Stevens just now and I shouldn't really <laughs> he, he, he's like 6 foot 9 isn't he and he squeezes into 175 he is, he is a very very tall long listen, human being isn't he he's mm. a freak he's and he can fight as well and he's actually yeah, a yeah. very Got good boxer heavy, heavy hands yeah. and he, he just uses his jab well he, he, he goes to the body well listen he, he, if you see him on his Instagram when he's working, he's um he's a he's he's, he's just a consummate professional. But you know 
what he doesn't, he like even for me, I've said to him, you should do a bit more on, you know, try and get some traction and be, um, you know, get your, your views up on your Instagram. But he's like, listen, buddy, I'm here to fight. Mm. The rest of it, I'm not the sure about. The rest of it but, will just come. Listen, Dillian didn't always um, leverage his social media to do, but he's very good at it now. Yeah, yeah. He draws now, doesn't he? He's able to trash talk on social media. And to be honest, when he's around in, in competition, he used to do it face-to-face -face with no, the no, opponents, no, but, no. but he, he doesn't need to do it because he he's focused. He spends, and it is, it, it's that growing process, isn't it? He spends a lot of time with his dogs. That's, I think that's, <laughs> he spends a lot of time with his dogs oh, on, the, on his Instagram. Do you know what? I, I can't even say what I said on there. Today I got him, um, he's talking about his dogs, and I said, listen, mate, you and them bloody dogs. <laughs> and then he, he really he, re he really went for me. Listen, if you're tough enough, um, come and let's have a, a stand-up. And I said, I'm outside. If you come out with your top-off, let's have a, a good old Barney. And then, you know, he done. He's actually, he sent me a video. It's probably gone now. But he said, I don't need to go outside. I've got CCTV and I can't see you out there, Sonny Jim. It's quite funny. That's advanced. Yeah, that's, that's advanced. Yeah, so, Do you know, know what I mean? You can't pull the wool over my eyes. Is it, is it, are you, um, you know, having created this niche for yourself in boxing, and it is. I, I do no. enjoy having you around. Always, we we all do because you you you've become a kind of character in the landscape, and 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 you know you've built you've you've built into it with Dillian. Yeah. Are you? Do you also feel? Is there a part of you that feels that you're helping to change the lives of some of these young fighters and the communities no, they're from as well? One hundred percent. For me, I changed the mindset of a lot of people because I've actually brought a lot of people. I sell a lot of tickets also, like. You know, a lot of people, like I said, I know a lot of people, a lot of people tune in for me and my bro's journey. Because even when I was talking about it years ago, people used to, they used to come and support me and my guys would come, they'd come to um, the Camden Centre and buy tickets and go, bloody hell, what's this here? This doesn't look all that, does it? I said, don't worry, he's going to get it. He's going to do these fellas. And you know that now, being at the O2 headlining, they're just looking like, imagine all of this where you've come and now you're doing your own thing you're doing so much interviews um i meet so much people where i've just come from just now i'm saying a lot of people i don't get to see them all the time because i'm always working i've got my own podcast i'm 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 looking what's I'm your looking, podcast it's called double d podcast yeah everyone's everyone's kind of is this the one with heavy d listen we're yeah. gonna get you guys a yeah, <laughs> listen and i've got a fighting spirits podcast if you guys want to come on yeah, this no, podcast listen. Podcast Look. and there's a fight night podcast of this show tonight for listeners, uh, so uh, that'll go out as well. Let, let, let me ask you this as well, right? Um, where do you want to be in five years' time? And tell me where you want your brother to be. Do you know? I just want my bro to get his opportunity to fight for a world title, what I believe he deserves. That is the first and foremost thing, um, because he deserves it. He's He's, he's one of the hardest working guys in boxing, irrespective if he's my brother or not. He's he, Listen, he is has changed so much from the loss to Joshua and changed his career, his life around everything and dedicated himself to the sport so hard. Um, so for me, looking at that, I'd say I, I believe he deserves his, his shot at heavyweight title. Whoever it is, whoever he, he, maybe don't do Wilder because we've been waiting so long, but whoever comes up, whoever he gets a shot against, uh, you know, that'll be my proud moment. Um, for that and for myself I just want to continue working even with even young kids coming up signing them getting them through the and guiding them the gym makes a difference being, doesn't it being in the yeah, sport yeah, makes a difference the discipline the makes a difference being a mentor to them guiding them and yeah. talking to them because it's, it's you have to be able to 
talk to them and say to them, this is the journey, this is the pitfall, this is not easy. Don't look at the glitz and glamour and think, because you see these guys in the bright light. Listen, there's rocky roads where some of these guys didn't have money for boots or gloves, couldn't afford to go to the gym, but then they still went for runs, they still did their circuits, they still believed in the journey. So, you know, for me, I talk with all my guys, I talk about so much different things. And then what I want to do is guide their career and navigate navigate no tapping please Dean. <laughs> sorry my bad i want to navigate their career because it's a chessboard mm. um for me if i look after them i want to nurture them and i want to make sure i do the right thing by picking the right fights for them at the right time and being that person who you know because they're my guys i've you know if i'm putting them on the line and putting them at risk you know people can die in this sport as we know yes. so for me i want to do the best for these guys as i can um and I just want to continue doing what I'm doing and get into commentating, possibly. You know, I've got an opportunity to do some commentating on um, some shows shortly. I'm just looking at the dates, uh, maybe on MTK. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to be happy, with, you know, starting somewhere and doing that. And maybe get onto, you know, bigger stages on Sky. Who knows? If they want to give me an opportunity, it would be wonderful. Before you disappear off um, back into the world, I want to ask you four questions. Only tiny answers to these, OK? Because okay. I've got to go to a break. Does Anthony Joshua beat uh, Andy Ruiz in the rematch in the in the fight in the dunes? I like Anthony Joshua. I want him to win for UK. Um, I think he's just got to keep it basic, use his jab and try. But um, Ruiz is is onto that plan. I read it in the newspaper. He said the only way Joshua's got is to try and box and run. I just feel like if Joshua's done everything, looked at where his mistakes are. Um, I just hope he, he pulls it off. Since Dillian and Joshua fought the first time, mm -hmm. who's improved more and who will win their second fight? Dillian, for me, is the most improved heavyweight. You know, I, it's not even to do with he's my bro, just on the. Like no, you, are, you have to be biased. No, no, hold on. If you said Joshua, he'd have got the CCTV on you when you got home. <laughs> no, but and it'd have been waiting outside with the camera <laughs> to hit you with the camera. Let me just get. No, because that's the only that, answer that, you can I, give. To I that. can give an answer to that. <laughs> okay, I'll, to, I'll give that it's answer. It's a much closer fight, second Absolutely, time. Absolutely, I'll no, give I that agree, answer. You know how close I am with Joshua as well, but. Dillian White, and I'm not just saying this because his brother's massive and sitting opposite me, by the way. And it's this got is, you by the is, collar right yeah, now. Yeah, absolutely. This is, this is <laughs> fact. Better, this, is, this is fact. <laughs> Dillian White is the most improved heavyweight. I agree. No, he's been by, a, I by a mile. Yes, he's done By a mile. And just leave that money at the door there, <laughs> Dean. All right. <laughs> All right, boys. Um, and finally, Daniel Cormier, Stipe Miocic rematch tonight. Who wins and why? I'm going to go with Daniel. Oh, to do it again, okay. Daniel, to do it again, you know, he's got a stellar career as a wrestler. Um, at heavyweight, he's undefeated. He cleaned up the whole of, um, what is it, the 95 division or whatever. Listen, he's a, he's a barbarian. He, he's well, he, good. No, he cleaned up the 205 the division 205. apart from John Jones. And that's oh, my last yeah. question oh, for John you tonight. Jones is right, oh, that's my, my last guy. question Sorry, for you tonight. Man, yeah. This is our last bit of UFC or MMA on. on here tonight. Um, and I celebrate the fact that CBD is now being used by fighters. It's off the, the World Anti-Doping Association okay, ban brilliant. list. It's brilliant that they're using it because it is used in pre-emetic cancer cases and all sorts. Um, is John Jones, can John Jones be as formidable at heavyweight as he's been at light heavyweight? I'm not sure, but what I will say, John Jones is the GOAT as far as I'm concerned. You know, listen, he's been in there many times and defeated many styles. 
I think he's the best mixed martial artist of all time. He's got to be. Obviously, he's someone who's got a checkered past, as we all have. But, I mean, he's come back time and time again and proven everyone skills pay the bills. And he's the man. He's the man to beat. He's the GOAT for me. Dean, thank you very much for coming in. It's been a pleasure to have you in the studio thank you tonight. Guys, as Dean, always. brilliant, man. Brilliant. Listen, it's all You're love. listening to Fight Night on TalkSport. My thanks to Dean White for joining us. I'm here with Spencer Oliver. We'll be straight back after this. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You're listening to Fight Night on Talk Sports. I'm Gareth Davis in the studio with me, Spencer Oliver. We've already had a, a very busy show thus far in the, the hour and 40 minutes that we've done, Spencer. Coming up at uh, 11 o'clock, an hour with the brilliant sports promoter and boxing promoter, Barry Hearn. Please listen to that. It's fascinating. If you don't have an opportunity, it is, of course, as always, on the Fight Night podcast that will be out very soon. Spence, um, Billy Joe Saunders... Um, amicably left uh, uh, promotional camps uh, and left Frank Warren for Matt Room and Eddie Hearn this week. I was at the press conference with him. A good move because it puts him in the frame for fights with Saul Canelo Alvarez, Gennady Golovkin, Callum Smith, both at middleweight and super middleweight. Saunders, a very talented fighter and boxer. And of course, one of those guys that is a two-weight world champion and undefeated. Yeah, I think that Frank Warren's done a great job with him, got him to become two-weight world champion. But I think in our sport, Gareth, you know, sometimes you need to make those moves for your own 
you know, for your own career. And I think he's made that move at the right time. I think Eddie Hearn could do a great job with him. He can make those fights with Gennady Golovkin. He can make those fights with Canelo Alvarez. You know, he can make those fights with Callum Smith. So, yes, it is a brilliant move for him at this stage of his career. Now, I spoke to Billy and, he, you know, he, he doesn't want to be in the game for an, another five or six years. You know, he'd be happy that he'd be done in three years or so. So, he only wants those big fights and, and he can get them now. I agree. Well, this is what uh, m- m- the boxing editor, Matt Smith, went along with me to see Billy Joe Saunders this week and this is what Billy had to say when I caught up with him at that matchroom press conference on Tuesday evening. Billy, um, 28 fights, undefeated, but a big move kind of, you know, across the promotional divide, if you like, um, but five, six fights out there now with you teaming up with Sky and his own Nettie Hearn that could really define your career now at your age. Yeah, I mean, I'm in the prime of my life. I've got um, five fights mapped out with his own matchroom and Sky Sports. Um, I'm looking forward to the working relationship. It's going to be uh, it's going to be a good journey. It's going to be a tough one. It's going to be a good one, you know. But I've got to now prove I am who I say I am. You're you're a multi-weight world champion at 168, 160 pounds. Um, Callum Smith's at 168. Um, Canelo. Saul Canelo Alvarez is at 160, 160. Golovkin's at 160. Because um, who is else is Danny there? Jacobs. On Danny Jacobs. That's all I've got to say there, Gareth, is bring them out, bring them out. Let's go. Yeah. Let's go now. There's no excuse. When I was with, um, with Frank Warren Promotions, it was hard to make them fights. You know, me and Frank had a brilliant working relationship. Mm-hmm. We got on so well. But it was just hard to make the big fights. If you were to choose an order, who would you want to fight first? There's oh, Chris Eubank Jr. as well there, isn't it? The rematch. Yeah, there is, but, you know, I want the big names. I've already beaten him. I want um, Golovkin or Canelo. You're listening to Fight Night on TalkSport with me, Gareth Davis, uh, Spencer Oliver, the former professional boxer, European bantamweight champion and Commonwealth silver medalist with me. Joining us on the line now, the one and only, the longest serving, and I don't want to make him sound really old, even though he is, but I love him, and he is an absolute legend in the sport, and I can't wait to see him next week when I go to Vegas, see Tyson Fury. It's the one and only Mr. Bob Arum. How are you, sir? Really, really good, really good. Getting ready. Uh, we have a, uh, a fight show tonight at uh, a new outdoor stadium in Los Angeles. Big Mexican card. Navarrete and Devaca are fighting for the 122 pound title. So, looking forward. It's a beautiful, beautiful day, and it'll be a beautiful night in Los Angeles. Bob, obviously, we are getting very excited uh, about the fact that we've got two events with Top Rank coming up, your uh, promotional outfit. Um, We have on the 31st of August at the O2 Arena on Skybox Office and obviously on ESPN in America, um, the very brilliant, you always seem to secure these names. I'll just give people a couple of names that this man, Bob Arum, has uh, found and promoted over the years. Let's try Marvellous Marvin Hagler. Let's try... Evander Holyfield and George Foreman. Let's try uh, Floyd Mayweather. Let's try Oscar De La Hoya, Manny Pacquiao, and now Vassal Lomachenko, who comes to delight British fans at the O2 Arena August the 31st against our very own Luke Campbell. Bob, you always told me that this guy, Vassal Lomachenko, is a featherweight now fighting at lightweight as a three-weight world champion. What is he going to show us when he comes to London on the 31st of August? Uh, one of the most skilled, proficient fighters that 
I've ever seen. Uh, he, he will absolutely, and he airlines. know him. Uh, they watched him on television. Watched when he won his second Olympic gold medal uh, in the uh, uh, Olympiad uh, uh, that in London. Uh, and he's an absolute phenomenon. Not only is he a great technical fighter uh, and a tremendous uh, uh, of defense, but unlike most defensive fighters, there's always a method, and the method is that he's looking for ways not only to beat his opponent with his defensive skills, but to absolutely destroy his opponent uh, as he unlocks uh, the door uh, to their defense. Well, we, we, we were mean, talking it, about that it, earlier, Bob. We, we've seen that particularly in fights with Walters, Guillermo Rigondo, and uh, Linares, and Pedraza, in fact. And, uh, and Linares and Pedraza. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the, the thing uh, about... Is, is, he, is he technically, arguably, the best boxer you've ever worked with? We seem to be losing Bob there. I don't think he's coming through at the moment. I'm, I'm not. Do, do you, you know, when you compare him with all those names that that Bob has promoted, Spencer, do you think he compares to the very best, even all the way back to Pernell Whitaker and Sugar Ray Leonard and all those kind of guys? Yeah, listen, you've got to rate him. You've got to rate him up there. He's, he's definitely on that track. I mean, I think it would be unfair to, to th those guys have cemented their legacy. Fazel Lomachenko is just creating his legacy now. I think he's got the potential to be named up there with. All all those greats that you just mentioned there, Pernell Whitakers and, the, and those type of guys, um, Floyd Mayweathers. Yeah, I think he's definitely got the potential and I think we're going to see something very special here. It's a shame that Bob's gone there because I wanted to ask him just how big a threat he sees Luke Campbell, um, you know, a, a gold medalist from the same Olympics um, at, at the smaller weight. Um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what he thought of that one. Um, I can't believe how people are disparaging though when they say, oh, Luke Campbell's got no chance against Vasyl Lomachenko. Here's the thing. If you're in the sport, and you're the same, I mean, you even tell me, even though you've had the brain surgery 20 years ago, I'd love to get back in there and still fight. And who would you want to fight? You'd want to fight the very best in the division. You'd have wanted to fight Lomachenko because you want to test yourself, because you want to have that purple night, that purple night on the night when he hasn't, and you beat him because upsets are made. Bob, time after time has told me about the story that he had Donald Curry and Lloyd Hunnigan went over and he mugged him in Atlantic City. Bob, welcome back. Sorry, the line wasn't good and we lost you there. I was asking you, Spencer and I were discussing whether Vasyl Lomachenko is arguably, technically, as good as anyone that we've ever seen from Sugar Ray Leonard to Pernell Wicketer to Floyd Mayweather to any of these guys. Are we fair to say that already about him? Yeah, going back to Ali. Wow. I mean, uh, uh, Ali, and it was the early Ali, the Ali that I brought over to London after he was camping to fight a championship match with uh, Henry Cooper. That Ali was technically unbelievable. Uh, when the three-and-a-half-year hiatus came and he came back, he was less of a technical fighter. Uh, but the, the Ali before that layoff was technically sensational. Uh, 
Lomachenko is the best since Ali. Wow. And, Bob, I, I wanted to ask you a question as well. How big a threat do you see Luke Campbell? How good do you think Luke Campbell is? Can he, do, you see him, do you see him a big threat? Well, Luke Campbell is a sensational fighter. You don't win an Olympic gold medal without having great skills. He is very, very proficient. He's as good as an opponent as Lomachenko can get. Uh, that being said, I mean, Lomach has more skills because they're almost unworldly uh, than Campbell does. But, you know, Lomachenko got to fight somebody, and Campbell is probably uh, the best uh, uh, guy uh, that uh, he will face. So I think it's going to be a tremendous fight, and Campbell fighting on his home turf uh, will uh, be fighting his heart out. But, I think people are really going to see something special on August 31st. Well, we hope so, and I think I, 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 let's hope that. Um... You know, obviously they're both London 2012 Olympians as well, Bob. Let's hope that uh, Luke Campbell brings the, or Vasyl Lomachenko rather, brings out the very, very best in Luke Campbell. I'm, I'm fascinated by something you said the other day, Bob, and, and you never say anything without a good reason for saying it, which was in one interview, if you were quoted correctly, you said that in some ways it doesn't make sense to you that Tyson Fury and Deontay Wilder aren't fighting next. Is that a, a fear that something could go wrong for either man before they meet on what we understand from Tyson Fury is in Las Vegas on February the 22nd? Yeah, every time a heavyweight goes in with another heavyweight, and particularly like Tyson is fighting a, uh, this big Swede who's undefeated, there's a danger. I mean, just look to what happened in New York when Anthony Joshua, who is uh, built like a, uh, a weightlifter, you know, sculpted and so forth, fat, fought this fat little Andy Ruiz and got himself knocked out. That happens in the heavyweight division. It happened to a great, great uh, uh, champion, twice to Lennox Lewis. Got knocked out by McCall and got knocked out by Hasim Rahman. Uh, you know, heavyweights. You, you One false move, and if you're fighting a guy with any kind of firepower, you're in danger. So is this $150 million, $200 million risk every time these guys don't meet? Right. And, and you know... Uh, it, it, it makes no sense, and we tried to push the Wilder fight uh, into this year, eliminating the, these interim fights, and we were not successful because uh, uh, Wilder had signed to fight Ortiz, another dangerous fight. Yeah, how dangerous do you see that fight, actually? Because Ortiz, I mean, had, him, had Wilder in all sorts of trouble. I think he was in the eighth for round. Five in that rounds. Last, for five rounds. For five, five rounds. Five or six rounds. In that last contest. and, and Well, we, we, you know, yeah, I mean, there is no question about it. Ortiz is a heavy-handed guy. Wilder figures to beat him. But they're heavyweights, man. Anything can happen. 
but Bob, um, with uh, Tyson Fury going on that um, vodcast or, or, or TV show on uh, ESPN, you know, tw- 36, 48 hours ago and, and saying it's going to be Las Vegas on February the 22nd against Deontay Wilder and we've already signed. Are you able to confirm that or is that just Tyson hoping what it might be? Tyson didn't read the fine print, which says that we weren't supposed to open our mouths. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah, listen, how much fun is it um, for you to... I know, obviously, we were out there with you when he fought Tom Schwartz uh, less than three months ago. I mean, is he made for America, this guy, Fury? Yeah, he's a, a, a tremendous entertainer. Everybody loves to interview him because you don't know what's coming out next. Uh, he's a very people, you know, think that because he talks uh, the way he does, that he's not intelligent. But he is highly intelligent. He is one of the smartest fighters that I've ever been around, and it's really a delight to promote a guy like that. Bob, um, you know, obviously we, we all know that this is kind of the last um, kind of, it's not a warm-up fight, because as you said, there are always dangers in the heavyweight right. division, yeah. but um, listen, thank you so much for joining us. Have a great fight night tonight. Um, I look forward to seeing you next week, because I'm coming into Tyson's camp next Thursday, and I'd love to drop into your office, and I will record well, something I'll for Talksport. I'll, I'll be on my way. Uh, I have to be at a friend's party, and then I'm on my way over to see you, of in course. England. I'll be in England, uh, I guess, um, uh, the week, the, the, the Sunday uh, before uh, August 31st. Lovely. Well, we look forward to seeing you, Bob. You've been listening to Fight Night on Talk Sport with me, Gareth Davis, and Spencer Oliver. Many thanks. Coming up in the next hour, you'll be able to hear my fascinating catch-up with Matchroom Sports' Barry Hearn. <laughs> You're listening to Fight Night on TalkSport, and I'm here at the um, probably the, the second or third love in the life of Barry Hearn. We're down at East Hanningfield Cricket Club, where you still turn out for the second 11. What, what are you? Um, still a kind of chin music fast bowler, Barry? <laughs> I wish, I wish. I think the fast bowling days are gone. I'm probably a two or three yard off break bowler and a middle to later order batsman. But you know what? It's the taking part that counts. Did you love the game growing up then? Yeah, I played from 12 years old with a, to a reasonably high standard club cricket level. Uh, always been passionate. Played, played against Garfield Sobers in one match, which went to fame as a youngster, and Colin Milburn, people like that. My heroes were obviously Freddie Truman and Brian Statham. So I became a fast bowler early doors in my career. Took a lot of wickets uh, at school's cricket and subsequently cricket, you know, doing 100 wickets a season, which was always a, a nice little plug. Um, became a batsman when I got tired of running in for too many overs and didn't make my first 100 till I was in my fall. was a slow starter, uh, and, but still love every moment of it. And coming down to East Anningfield and playing here with these lovely people, it's just a joy. Still competitive, still want to win, you know. And uh, It never leaves you, does it? No, it doesn't. I mean, we played last Saturday, we were 33 for five, but made 150 and 
got the other team out for 147 and I told my wife it's probably one of the best days of my life and it is because it's, you, you don't lose the competition but you appreciate the standard is not perhaps what you used to play when you were younger. Yeah, no, I played for 35 years myself and all my teammates down at uh, North Middlesex where I played most of my career, I played a bit for Enfield and Hampstead and different mm. clubs and, and back at school and uni and um, it's one of those games where... Once you get into it and you understand it, the nuance is so deep that you can have... Because we've all dreamt, we've all had those great days Mm. ourselves individually and as teams. But it's such a leveller, isn't it? You know, it really is. Maybe maybe as much as boxing is even. Well, I know last Saturday, I I batted for nearly an hour and a half for 27 because we were in trouble and I kept saying... Oh, so you put on the rescuing partnership, did you? At 33 for five. What, you put on 70 or 80, did you or something? No, I I had two two partnerships, one of 60-odd and one of 40-odd, which got us to 150, but my contribution was a meagre 27. But I was just there boring everyone, you know? Um, (laughs) But... Every ball, every single ball, I said to myself, watch concentrate, watch concentrate, don't do anything silly, <laughs> watch the ball, watch the ball. And it's marvellous that it matters so much later on in life, you know, because most people think you're mad. It's a bit like going fishing and people say, why do you go fishing? You catch a fish and you put it back and you go, yeah, but I was there. And I love the concentration and I love, you know, my fielding is poor in comparison to what you said was a specialist can you get down then no I was a specialist gully fielder for 20 years and and, and I was decent but now when I put my arm down there's still another foot below that and the ground which is a bit of a gap but (laughs) you know you take the old catch and you feel great it's difficult to describe I just think it's it's like diarrhoea. It runs in your genes, doesn't it? Sorry, Sorry for that. <laughs> the first of, of, of many poor jokes tonight, I imagine. But um, the, the, the funny thing is, well, just before we pass on from the cricket, it's funny, you know, because um, I don't write a lot about cricket anymore. I used to write quite a lot. And just on the other side of the A12 here, uh, we're in Essex. Um, all last week, uh, Felsted School hosted the Bunbury, 33rd Bunbury Festival. And David English is a long-standing friend of mine. I've had games against his Celebrity 11, where I've had a Celebrity 11. We've raised money for charity. And um, funny thing is, I think nine or ten of that World Cup winning side had been in the Bunbury Festival. And David, in his Ing- is, you know the loon, yeah? yeah? Of course. Yeah. I've played for him a few times. Exactly. <laughs> well, along with Eric Clapton and mm, Barry Gibb mm, and all those mm, guys. And Viv- mm. I mean, in with Viv Richards and Ian Botham yeah, and all. It doesn't get better. No, exactly. It? But the, what he was saying uh, in the piece I did with him in the Sunday Telegraph a few weeks ago was, you know, Boris Johnson's just come in. Um, he can make a dramatic change now by saying, we want every state school to have access to a cricket pitch and that we want the national summer game to get um, back again in the wake of the World Cup winning. Like you say, the problem is it probably won't happen, but it really ought to because, you know, we're we're sitting in front of a big window here watching the game as we talk. It's a way of life. and, And it's a kind of game I've played before when grandfathers are playing with their grandchildren in the same team. It's one of the very few sports where you can still play. I, I, I think the, one of the proudest moments of my sport in life was, I think I was, I don't know what age I was, I think Eddie was 14 and we opened the batting for a, a local team near Brentwood called Brookwield. Yeah. And I think walking out to the crease with my son, opening the batting at whatever level was one of the proudest moments of my life. And I said to him, there's quite a quick bowler on here, son. I'll take number one. And I took the first over, 
played it out. Was it like Brian Close facing Michael Holding? Mm. I remember when he got battered around the body. Yeah, I, w- I wish I was as brave as Closey because I, <laughs> I played with him a few times. He was a tough old boy. Yeah. Played out the first over and Eddie walked down the crease to me and said, you do know your don't you? <laughs> and I just loved it. I thought, here we go. And Eddie became quite good quick because he played Essex, toured Barbados, toured Hong Kong, decent player, and gave it up on a commercial note, really said, look, I've got to spend a lot of time, there's not enough money in it, and I'm not that good to be that good, you know. But again, you turn out every now and again, put the whites on and loves it. We've got to take a much broader look at sport in this country because the danger is it's becoming dominated by fee-paying schools that have got facilities at the expense of grammar schools and technical colleges, etc., that are reliant on the government's austerity cuts and not providing any sports entertainment. It's not just cricket. I mean, it's cricket, it's tennis, it's swimming. There's got to be a time when we acknowledge how important in this country sport is for the fibre, for the character, for the aspirational level. And I believe that we should be spending more money on sport than we do on defence, because I think the real defence of our country is in the hearts and minds of youngsters that start playing cricket and learn values in life. No cheating, work hard, concentrate, all the things that you need in business, in in commerce, in anything, that comes from your competitive nature in sport. And we are giving up on huge pockets of youngsters and just saying, oh, let them go and play on their Game Boy. Uh, And and that's a worry for the next generation because I don't know where cricket and tennis and golf are going to be in 10 years' time there's going to be a lot of people not playing those sports and it will still be massive as a TV sport punters like you, me and the nation will watch the big, they'll watch the open golf, they'll watch the test matches but eventually it dies out if people don't actually play so there's a warning sign there the Minister of Sport who is a sort of I think it's just a figure that's just made up should be a full cabinet minister with a political office with authority correct to say i represent the nation's young people men women girls Mm. because with sport it doesn't matter if you're muslim or christian black or white fat a bricklayer or a billionaire it doesn't doesn't matter does it? it's one of the reasons why things like darts have got successful because it's there's no barriers to entry there are barriers to entry on the bigger sports because they need facilities far more so than indoor sports and that's something the government's got to take into mind I think they've got a few other problems on their mind at the moment, but hopefully in time they'll come round to realising that's how you build a a country. When you imagine how, as one we all are, during World Cup finals and cricket finals, there's no disharmony. Mm. That's not coincidence, because we have a common purpose, and sport gives you that common purpose and something the government should be more aware of and do something about. While we were enthusing about cricket before I started recording, you were saying how you'd taken 65 wickets in your school games in one season, and you remember proudly, and you'll, you've never forgotten it, and I'm sure it was a motivational tool that you were mentioned in the mail, that, that yeah. the national newspaper. I remember being mentioned... Um, well, the Telegraph. I mean, I ran the schools column for 20 years in the uh-huh. Telegraph, and the number of young people who I mentioned in that column, who I later met in life, who are some of our sporting stars, yeah. they are so 
impugned and motivated it's by easy. seeing those it's things. But things. sports ministers, mm. Barry, for years and years and years, have said they'll do this, that and the other. They have uh, no power. They, have, they no have no power. power. And it is time no for that to change. It's yeah. well time for it to change. Yeah. So, I mean, what makes me laugh, and doesn't actually not laugh, makes me cry. Mm. Within 24 hours of us winning the England cricket, you know, England winning the Cricket World Cup, the entire team were at 10 Downing Street for a photo opportunity. Not good. Not good. Mm. Mm. Yeah, you know, I'm cynical. What does that do? Mm. St. Theresa May wants a picture taken with the team. Good luck. But really, where's the next generation of cricketers and what you're doing for them? It's all very well having your picture taken with the superstars of today, whether it be David Beckham or whether it be Andy Murray. You've got to look at the grassroots. And actually, the fact that they want their picture taken so quickly... It's just a publicity stunt to show that they're one of the people. And in fact, they're not one of the people because if they were, they'd be doing something for the people. I'm with Barry Hearn. We, we were, I was going to talk about Anthony Joshua with you in the first <laughs> section of the, of, the, of the show tonight. But um, look, you, you're involved with darts, with snooker, with um, fishing, um, with, with football. We're here at a cricket ground and there's obviously all the boxing you've been involved in all your life. And to be honest... I wasn't intending to broaden out the discussion, but let, let's be honest. We, you know, you and I have been around you, you much longer than me in the sports world, and we we have a love of sport, not just fight sports. So Barry Hearns with me. Don't miss this. We're going to talk about Anthony Joshua next. You're listening to Fight Night on Talk Sport. You're listening to Fight Night on TalkSport with me, Gareth A. Davis. I'm here with the one and only Mr. Barry Hearn, who has, I think, probably had, must be close to five decades now involved in sport. Yeah, I started in 74, so I'm 45 years in so far, and counting. And I'm sure it'll never end. Look, let, and before we go and talk about how you really got in and began, um, let's have a quick chat about Anthony Joshua. Mm. Uh, announced last week um, that he's going to fight in... Uh, in Riyadh, on the northwestern outskirts of Riyadh, December the 7th, in the rematch against Andy Ruiz. Let me ask you, first of all, how much advice was asked of you um, about whether he should take the Andy, rematch, Andy Ruiz rematch first? And what was your instinct? Was it to leave it with him? Because you talked to Bob Arum, you talked to Frank Warren, you talked to George Foreman, and many others who you know and, and respect or not in, in the boxing world, mm. but who, who, who know what's happened in the past with Muhammad Ali, with Floyd Patterson, with different people, how they earned the world titles back by not going back in against an opponent who was perhaps difficult for them the first time. What was your first take on it after June the 1st, Barry? I think we were all in a state of shock that, that Joshua got beat, and I think we all acknowledged he got beat by the better man on the night, mm. which was even more shocking because... Andy Ruiz is always a tough opponent. We, we knew everything about him, all his amateur fights, his professional fights. We knew he was capable. He didn't look as if he should be capable. He looked like a pizza delivery man. But the appearances can be deceptive, and we weren't deceived by that, nor was Anthony. The training camp was first class. Everything was good. Walked onto one, got beat. Uh, end of story. That's uh, welcome to the world of heavyweight boxing. Do we immediately... Obviously, our job is a fiduciary job to look after the interests of Anthony Joshua. The contract, therefore, with Ruiz getting his opportunity, there was one of four opponents. Ruiz was selected. He accepted the challenge. Paid a lot of money to be challenger for the World Heavyweight title. Signed for a rematch. Won. No, 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 long-term, no long-term difficult contract. But the insurance policy, if something goes wrong, 
that Joshua's got one chance back at it. And if not, Rivers wins again. He's a free agent, so good luck to the boy. Um, do you take your chance? Yes, of course you do. Um, anyone who says different, just looking for column inches because you would fancy the job against Andy Ruiz 99 times out of 100. Uh, doesn't mean to say you're complacent, but at the same time, you're confident of winning. And of course, money talks sense. Um, to go away and have uh, to lose the opportunity of a rematch means that you would come back as a challenger with no claims and you'd obviously be in a, a weaker negotiating position. And it's three belts, of course, three of the principal belts. Absolutely. And so you're right back in the frame. Oh, yeah, you're yeah. one fight away, or you know, alternatively, one fight away from saying, is this what I'm going to do for the rest of my life? Yeah, exactly. So it's it, the, the reward is huge, but the risk is the, huge. The downturn is massive yeah. because if you get beat in the second fight, then... You, you may not be finished, but you know, as a commercial operation, it's a massive dent. You, you get over one, as a lot of people did, Lennox Lewis and people like that, came back after one shock defeat, uh, and they got bigger and bigger and better and better, Lennox particularly. His second half of his career was so much better than his first half. So the, it wasn't a choice about, do we let Ruiz just walk away with all the belts without having to go and try and get them back? Don't be ridiculous. That was, you know, anyone who says that... You know, the cloud cuckoo land but that's okay because there's a lot of poor operators out there anyway this is the right fight this is a fight that Joshua likes he wants redemption all the matters that goes and financially which is because at the end of the day Anthony Joshua makes the final call on everything we do I had no influence whatsoever in do you want the rules we asked him do you want the 100% yes go and get it for us that's our instructions from our client we deliver do you want to go to Saudi Arabia? This is the deal there. There are four or five venues around the world wanted that fight. We would prefer budgets for each one. And we would look at the ups and downs, the pitfalls, culture, politics, whatever. And we would sit down as a team, final choice, Anthony Joshua. Yes. And, of course, we were mindful that Andy Ruiz wanted, really, although he had no control over the venue or the date because he'd already signed away that control, we were mindful that, he didn't really want us to be in England. You know, the, he wanted to be in Mexico City, quite rightly, because it's his homeland. He, didn't have, he doesn't have the power to specify where the venue was. But we could see his mindset about, don't want to be, I don't want to give Anthony Joshua a hometown advantage. So, in are the you end... Saying that, are you saying that Cardiff was genuinely an option? Oh, then? yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, had we not accepted the Saudi deal... Mm. And potentially one other Middle East deal, then we would Dubai, have, I understand. Where you mm, no, 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 but not far away. Okay. Um, we would definitely have gone to Cardiff, no question. Um, clearly, it was a better financial offer for for AJ to go to Saudi, but also in our, in AJ's mind and our mind is we did we wanted to take away any excuse from Ruiz saying this is not fair. And home advantage, we thought, features. And I think he's confirmed that he's happier not to be boxing in England. Not to say we wouldn't have gone if we had to have gone. We'd, we'd love Cardiff and, and AJ loves to entertain his UK fight fans. But there's time and a place for that. All we're focusing on is getting the title back. Um, having met Ruiz and spent a little bit of time with him on my own, I I'll be honest with you, I think he's just going to fight the way he fights. I don't think the venue bothers him at all. I think he's... 
a big lad. He's always been a big lad. When he was seven, he was fighting 13-year-olds because he was so heavy. Yeah. And he, he's used to being around big guys. He's a better boxer than he looks, as we much, know. Much he's got faster hand speed than he looks. He's got more power than he looks. Mm. And you watch the fight back, which I have several times, maybe four times, actually. Um, Anthony was still looking for that finish at the, at the end. And, and he ha did have to go gung-ho because he no, didn't know where he was. No, he didn't know where um, he was. I don't yeah, think he yeah. knew anything after that, yeah. that big shot in the third. But, no, you know, Ruiz can fight. We all know that. But, look, we don't want a heavyweight division. And I'm not having a go at anybody here in particular. But we don't want a heavyweight division where there are massive odds-on favourites. I mean, the bookmakers made Joshua a huge odds-on favourite for that fight. Silly bookmakers, what do they know about boxing? They don't know anything about boxing, but they know a lot about the weight of money. So the punter's money was going on. Joshua, he became a huge favourite. The fact of life is that was a good level heavyweight fight. Take away the what, what each fighter looked like, your man mounting against pizza delivery boy. As far as technical ability, a very well-matched fight. And heavyweight division, especially with the money these boys are earning, deserves those type of fights. And we have this bizarre situation in heavyweights with three broadcasters all desperate to, to keep hold of their bit of talent. Mm. You know, ESPN with Tyson Fury and Showtime with Deontay Wilder and obviously DAZN and Sky with AJ. But they've got to also remember that to keep that pot boiling, that pot boiling mm. you've got to fuel it with proper fights. And Ruiz was a proper fight. Fast hands, good feet. Very good feet for a big man. As I say, I know lots of bodybuilders, Gareth, that look sensational. They can't fight at all. So don't worry about appearances. Um, when you saw the reaction to the, the fight announcement, you know, just over a week ago now as it is, um, did you expect there to be a bit of a backlash from British fans and also from organizations like Amnesty International mm. that were complaining about the human rights record in Saudi yeah. Arabia? I think there's two things there. I mean, you always expect backlash from British fans because British fans, quite rightly, selfish as we all are, they want the fight in England. So 80,000 of them can go to that's it, that's so they're going to miss out on an opportunity and, to go to it. My wife was, by the way, a part of that British fan saying, what are you doing? I'm not, I can't travel all the way over there, but I would have loved to have gone to see AJ in wherever. I just have to hold my hands up and say, look, you know, sorry, there's a bigger, there's a bigger picture here. Business? Business. It's, it, sport is business. And the day you take your eye off sport being business is the day sport goes backwards. And we talked earlier about the cricket and the golf and the tennis and the investment that's not being made. Same thing if I was a boxing. What we've done with boxing over the last five years, and in particular, that's off to my son, I don't take any credit for it, is inspired a generation of young kids to be professional boxers and to make the sacrifices to make themselves as good as they can be. And they deserve, they deserve the reward. So you can't do that and then just give them a medal or a cup or a belt. You've got to give them money. So their life changes because of the risks they take and the, and the level of dedication they put in. So that, the fan side, I can shrug my shoulders and say, look, don't worry, hopefully you'll be back again in the future, but we are a global sport. And as such, we have a global audience to cater for. Uh, as far as the, the political and the cultural side, side of Saudi, yes, I was expecting some backlash on that because there are people out there, and quite rightly, defending the rights of individuals across the world against many different member states of people that abuse power or create 
criminal acts or whatever. But your daughter or your wife would have to, for example, if they wanted to be at that fight, would perhaps have to seek special dispensation to go to the event. Well, for let me say this. is I'm not justifying it at all, but what I'm seeing is change, slow change. Three or four hundred years ago, we used to do a lot of things in our country that we probably would be ashamed to admit to now. And by example, things change. And sport can be part of that process. It's a long haul, but the alternative is just cutting people off. I think I, I spent some time talking to Keith Pelly of the PGA European Tour, who's a very sensible young man, because he took a European Tour event there and had the similar sort of things, how can you do this in a country that does such and such? And Keith's answer, and I think my answer is, look, our responsibility is towards, his responsible towards his members to provide the best tournaments to spread the game as globally as possible. I take exactly the same view in all the sports I deal in. My overall consideration is the world of sport. Politics being politics, I'm sure there's things all over the world that I could take offence with, but I just focus my interests on spreading the gospel of sport and making sure that my clients are well rewarded for the activities within their chosen sport. Are you going to fight weekend December? Absolutely. I would not miss it for AJ fight, are you sure? Um, so, AJ... Wins back the belts. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, obviously, there are two even bigger fights out there. Yeah. Then there is Tyson Fury still. Yeah. There is Deontay Wilder. Yeah. We even even if he loses, they're still marketable in a sense. But but like you said, let, let's talk about it in the event that he wins because then they are mega fights, bigger than any fights we've probably ever seen in the UK. How soon? Obviously, we understand that Wilder and Fury will probably meet in February, March next year. Yeah. Do you want him to fight both of those guys and where would you like to see those fights take place? Well, I want to see him fight both those guys. I think now is the right time for him to fight both those guys, but clearly they have their own contractual obligations. I imagine that Wilder will get through Ortiz in, in a decent fight. If it is Ortiz. If it is. Uh, and then he'll be looking for another fight February, March time, thereabouts, which may well be Fury, but... Dylan White's got to have a, a say in that at some stage. Certainly after the, uh, well, certainly after the, if there is one Tyson Fury fight, he would certainly be ensconced by then. As always, politics in boxing will get complicated, and money is the thing that always resolves. Let's wait and see how things go in Saudi. We we will, I believe, if we put on the type of show we're going to put on, we will potentially see the birth of a whole new market. For professional boxing as one state begins to outbid another state for the right to host the next super fight so you think they that that might even go east then those big fights the, i think it has the potential to so it's early doors and i'm looking into a crystal ball but britain has led the way uk has led the way in professional in the resurgence of professional boxing globally Having said that now, America is gaining steam under Eddie's guidance with the zone deal. There's an awful lot of factors coming in. It's about the time of the fight, the airtime, the pay-per-view opportunities, the subscriber base that's likely to be interested. So it's a very complicated scenario. But it comes down to how big, how big the fights are. You're listening to Fight Night on TalkSport. I'm here with Barry Hearn. We've got to go to a break because another wicket's fallen out through the window and I think uh, the oppo 
that's the East Hanningfield oppo. I think seven or eight down now, and, and Barry wants to get a little stare. We'll, we'll be right back after this. You're listening to Fight Night on TalkSport. I'm in the brilliant company of Mr. Barry Hearn, um, uh, sports impresario, if I can call you that, you know. Um, it's great to be with you here. Now, you were born in 1948. You are Barry Maurice William Hearn. Morris, Morris. 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 Sorry, sorry. I'll start it again. Barry Morris William Hearn. You are a promoter. You're the chairman of Matchroom Sport. Um, you've been involved in pool, 10-pin bowling, golf, the, the PGA Europe, Euro Pro Tour, table tennis, fishing. Um, you've been chairman of the Professional Darts Corporation, World Professional Billiards and Snooker Association, and the chairman of L- Leighton Orient Football Club, of course. You're still chairman of that? No, I'm lifetime non-executive president, okay. so well, I'm, and I'm happy with Still that. involved? Still involved, but only you have to go to board meetings four times no, a year. No, I never have to go to board meetings. Okay, <laughs> yeah, because yeah. you know what happens? You get bored, yeah, don't you? Because yeah, yeah, you're, 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 you're a doer, aren't you? Yeah, no. Now, um, obviously, you know, I always see you and Eddie as two peas, your son, Ed, Edward, um, as two peas in a pod. He, he's very similar to you. He, in fact, he might even be smoother than you as a talker, no, no, no. you know, and I'm not, I'm not no, no. disparaging you at all. I think he's a brilliant salesman. Mm. He's very honest about what he is. Mm. Um, and I know that um, you wanted some honesty out of him. You talked earlier about batting together in cricket, how proud it was. Um, and I, I, I need to just go back to this there was a time when you wanted to test him physically as well wasn't there yeah. um when he when he it was probably after you'd batted together yeah, um when you when you 16 yeah i mean i always had this thing about whether my son was going to be a you know i mean i i came up very normal extremely normal but my son was obviously well the council estate in dagenham is what you yeah, mean that's yeah. right my dad was a bus driver and you yeah. know i could look after myself but it was a normal working class upbringing and you washed cars you picked fruit and vegetables anything anything yeah. to make a living yeah, yeah i've never changed it's you told me once i loved a pound note you know i, I still love a pound note <laughs> because it, otherwise what, what am i doing here what am i doing here i've always worried about eddie whether he was going to turn out to be just a rich kid's son because you'd sent him to Brentwood School, yeah, private right. school. Yeah, that's right. And they had all, you know, he, he, as he says now, you can't change, you can't criticise the cards you're dealt. That was his, the, the hand he was dealt. It was my job as a parent to give him the best I could. What if he, was, what if, what if he had an accent like, no. I, I'm not saying I speak very public schooly, but I do have a slight public school oh, twang. Yeah, yeah. What, are, are, you, are you happy that he's got the Essex because it adds to him, doesn't it? I never it? even think of him in any other way. But, oh, than but, just Eddie. Yeah. But we, we got to a stage where he got bigger and bigger, and he was having a few fights uh, outside and inside the ring, you know, getting a bit lively. And big I, lad? Big lad, 6'3", whatever, yeah. at 16, is a big lump. And I just said to him, it's time for me to find out what type of bloke you really are. Let, we'll go down the gym and we'll have three rounds proper. Small gloves. We'll have head guards and gum shields, but we'll have a proper tear-up. Your wife wasn't happy, though. She was absolutely incensed. And the last words were, if you hurt my son, I'm going to kill you. Uh, and this is fact, Susan, yeah. yeah. In fact, it didn't work out like that at all, because I did, you know... Come on, the bell rings. Let's go through it a little bit. Let's do a little bit of commentary. Bell rings, first round. Is there a bit of an audience as well? A few lads around the gym. Quite, 10 or 15? Yeah, embarrassing. Excuse me, lads, I need the gym. I need it three rounds. Two-minute rounds. No, take a chance. I was 48 or something. And what was he? 16. 16. Yeah. So, <laughs> bell goes. I look at his face. He's 16. He's not frightened of anyone. He's up for it. He comes charging over to me, and I hit him with a right hand straight on the point of the gym that zings up my fingers, 
like a beauty. You know, when you hit someone hard, in my little experience, you don't feel it if you hit it right. I didn't feel it, but he didn't fall over. And I thought, I could have a problem here. Anyway, we carried on first round. So he's got a chin. You he's found that straight away. He had a chin. I was, I was never a big puncher anyway, but he had a chin. Uh, he started getting more and more aggressive, and that was okay. We had a decent first round, I think. Um, Who won it? I'd probably give it to him on work rate, but but with me on quality of shots. Did you have anyone there scoring it? Or no, not? no, no, okay. no, no. I mean, they were. Did sit- you have a referee? No, but they were just sitting there, standing around in awe of what's going on here. The governor's got his boy in, and they're both trying to kill each other. <laughs> second round, he came out and started hitting me to body shots and dropped me twice in the second round. Brutal body shots. I was, I wasn't too bad getting it in the face, Gareth. To be honest with you, because there's not a lot of feeling with a thick old head like I've got, but the body. As I always say to fighters, it's the, it's the most underrated punch in the world. So he's hit me once in the body. I've gone down, got my breath, got up, thought, this looks bad. I was more conscious that it looked bad in front of other people. And he came in like a ferocious little animal that he is. I went down right at the end of the second round. Bell went, and I said, that'll be, that's enough, son. And he said, Eddie said, you said you'd do three rounds. And I went, do you want to kill your dad? <laughs> I said, two's more than enough. But... I left the gym happier than him because he proved something to me and that's all I wanted to know. And I've never had to ask that question again. Is he a spoiled kid or is he like me? Is he a proper player and a proper man? And he's a proper man. I don't need to be... So from then onwards, the bond that was already very strong become unbreakable. So if I'm in the jungle or I'm in the trenches, I'll have Fascar Eddie next to me every day, even if he did go to public school. It's funny, you know, I, I sat with him, you know, I've got to know both of you pretty well over the years, and um, I mean, God, we go back to the day when we were being lounge lizards in, um, in, in hotels in America with Nazim Hamid and stuff, we'd sit around all day where it was different. I was going to say was, it's a good job um, that boxing match between you and him didn't happen today because it would have done millions of views on social media wouldn't it and and people would have been making memes of you forever Forever. it wasn't recorded presumably it wasn't what a a relief no what a shame (laughs) that's the promoter speaking there I've actually got a couple of films of Eddie boxing when he was amateur and they're difficult to watch because I was so nervous that I couldn't hold the camera still but he I think it's, it's good. I don't think he'd like me to release those because he did look like a jack-in-the-box jumping up and down. Like a, You know, the amateurs tend to jump up and down rather than shift forward. Mm. But, uh, no, he, he finished off, I think he was 18 or something like that. And he, I remember him coming home one day and he said, I think I'll jack this boxing in. And I said, well, no, if you're not enjoying it, don't do it. But, you know, don't worry about me. My opinion doesn't count. Why is that? What, 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 what made you think like that? And he said... A couple of travellers came in the gym tonight, he said. I don't think I'm ever going to be as tough as them. And I thought, that sums up boxing, because I've never known anyone from a, a middle-class background be a good boxer, be, you know, be a decent world-class boxer. You need that hunger and you need that working-class upbringing, and it is a tough game. And you can't invent that. Um, I had a few beers with him in, in Los Angeles when Kroller and Lomachenko fought, I think it was, a couple of days before that, and... He was brilliant with me that day, and we we did loosen up a little bit. We were I recorded it, it went out on Talksport. I did a big piece in the Telegraph with him, and he was 
telling me then, you may have read it, he said, I'm prepared to die, mm. like a boxer is in the ring for his family and his honour. Mm. I don't know if you read this. He said, I'm prepared to die yeah. for my dad and my family, for this company, yeah. um, no as a workaholic. No less than I would ask, no more than I would give. It, it's but he's learnt from you yeah. not to have a heart attack, he told me. Yeah. yeah, well, that's good. If you can avoid that, it's fine. You're not a certainty. That's out of your hands. All we can do is try our nuts off every day. Be as honest as we can. Tell the truth, because it's a lot easier than telling lies. Make sure that you back up every plan with a sustainable plan for moving everybody forward. But you have to commit. You have to be like a poker player, you have to be all in. And in our family, we're all in. We're, we're tough to beat. I mean, you know, we're relentless to a level I've never seen anyone as relentless as us. Well, it's, it's, you, your, your, your work and your play are symbiotic, aren't they? There's a synergy there with both of you that, you know, um, you do take downtime. But, I mean, it's extraordinary that... Um, I know because I've had a family myself and my children have grown up. The, the amount of time that is taken away from you that you can't have with your kids if you're going to be committed well, to work. It's part of the sacrifice mm. you make. We are sportsmen to sacrifice their lives. Mm. So why on earth shouldn't people that organise sports events sacrifice theirs as well? Because if you want to be the best you can, you can't leave a stone unturned. You just can't do it. It's like you writing a piece and saying, well, that wasn't very good, but file it anyway. You would never do There's it. deadlines, though, and so sometimes it's all about, if I've got all day, I'll take all day. That's well, it's not, then take all night or the night before. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's no way you can ever go out with anything other than your very best. You started boxing as a promoter in 1987, yeah? Mm -hmm. And your first promotion, Frank Bruno against Joe Bugner. What do you remember of that? It was actually my third promotion. Was it third? Because I, I'd done two little Gary Mason shows at, at the Cliffs Pavilion in South Bless Africa. his heart. Rest in peace. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Terry Lawless asked me to do it because I think Terry Lawless and Mickey Duff were trying to get me to work for them because I was a young, sort of a fairly mouthy promoter type. Mm. Um, I don't work for people, as you know, so that was never going to happen. But once I did a couple of little shows with Gary Mason, I got the bug and I decided I wanted to do something big. I didn't know what I was doing, but I knew as a fight fan that what I would, I wanted to do shows that I would buy a ticket for. And of course, ever since Henry Cooper got beat by, <laughs> ever since Henry Cooper got beat for the British title. By Bugner. By Bugner. Do you think he won that? I think, I think every, the authorities were virtually told, give it to the younger bloke, it's time for him to go. Half a point in those days, yeah, wasn't it? I Do you know. remember? Harry Grab. Harry, I'm not Harry. Harry, 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 Harry Gibb. Gibb. Harry Gibb, who gave, who gave the Eubank one-round victory over Nigel Benn in the second fight. So he was consistent. Um, what I think was, I knew that Frank Bruno was the nation's hero. I knew that no one liked Joe Bugner, that he had previous with Henry Cooper. It was just a fight that I, I, I would have walked 100 miles to watch that fight. So why don't no you brainer. make it? Why don't you make it? Yeah. I got in touch with them. Somehow or the other, I won't go into details because it would take more than an hour to explain. Somehow or the other, I got it signed up against all the odds. And it happened. And to this day, it's still one of the top 10 all-time audience records on ITV. What, what was it? 17 million? 18.7. Greg yeah. Dyke was the head of London Weekend Television at the Greg time. Greg Dyke bought it off me. That's right. Two, a quarter of a million, wasn't it? Yeah. He said, how much do you want for this fight? I said, 200,000. He said, I don't think you can deliver it. 
So he gave you 50 grand more, didn't he? He said, if you can deliver it, I'll give you 250. That's right, yeah. I said, you've just done 250, son, because when I say I deliver something, trust me, I deliver. 18 million, when you think about that I now. I know, it's 18.7. World Cup final probably wouldn't do that. <laughs> incredible. Um, the wickets are still falling outside, and uh, East Hanningfield's oppo are nearly bowled out, but we're going to a break. Come back uh, shortly. Uh, I'm with Barry Hearn. You're listening to Fight Night on TalkSport. <laughs> You're listening to Fight Night on TalkSport. I'm with the one and only Mr. Barry Hearn. Um, we're we're going to continue talking about your life in boxing now. 45 years, as you told me just now, Barry, um, as the uh, the tees get opened here at the cricket ground. I think we've got a couple of overs left. Note the players are making their, their way off the pitch. All the sandwich boxes, cartons are being opened. So there'll be a little bit of noise behind us. I'm it's just... a proper interview in a proper surroundings, exactly, isn't it? in a proper cricket ground. Um... What have been the best and worst? You mentioned Francis Ampofo and how brilliantly he's done. Um, we all love Francis. What, what, what are the best and worst nights you've had? What was the best night you've ever had in best boxing? Night, without doubt, 1990, Eubank Ben won, uh, NEC Stadium. Gambled just about every night. I mean, we weren't doing particularly well then as a company. I really believed in Eubank. I thought Styles make fights. I thought he had the fight won. So we gambled everything on staging that fight, making sure it happened. And it came off, uh, and one of the great nights of, you know, again, there's a book. Each one of our stories, Gareth, is, is like a book almost in, really? in each night because so many things happen. A worst night, without doubt, featured Eubank as well, was Michael Watson. You know, uh, a man I'm proud to call a friend who's made a, an amazing recovery, if you can call it such, you know, in terms of he's led a useful got life. Got to his 50s. He's got, in his uh, 50s now. Uh, yeah. Just an amazing person, an amazing story. A guy that shows you that when you're winning... Hands down, you still have to be careful because this boxing is a very cruel sport and it can be taken away from you in a, in a, heart, in a heartbeat. Anthony Joshua found that out in the third round when he looked like going home early to having his, his rings taken away from him. When you look at Watson, absolutely hand, hands down winning that fight against Eubank. Just walked on to one uppercut and... The whole of history and the whole of his life changed, and in a weird, weird way, and boxing changed for the better. Mm. It took well, the, it, it to took put the history there that that they sued the board yeah. um, over Michael Watson's uh, team sued the board over the fact there wasn't enough medical care afterwards, yeah. and it has changed the provision for it boxers at uh, major events. It took a disaster to make other people's life safer, mm. and Michael Watson should never be forgotten for that. Mm. Yeah. Spencer Oliver always. Thanks, yeah. the Michael Watson yeah, situation for the life. fact that save he's, you know, he's a broadcaster now. Yeah. He'd love to box again, but he, it saved his life. You know, there's a big horseshoe cut in or, or stitches yeah, in his head, and he's and he's fine. He's fine, as are many other fighters, and there's still tragedies within boxing, which some of which are unavoidable because of the nature of the sport. But we can make it with. You know, with everyone's help, we can make it as safe as possible without ever taking, making it completely safe, because it can't be. It is, in your view, I mean, as I say, I'm, when I mention all those names, I mean, it, it's an extraordinary uh, list of, you know, from, from Frank Bruno to, to the biggest names in British sport in the last 40 years, basically, um, as, as we get older. Um, and as the players move in and get their tees behind us, you can just hear them. Um, what qualified you to understand 
boxing and have that nuanced feel for it. But did, did was there boxing in the background in the family? Was oh. there? Did you always have a feel for it? Did, was there ever a time when you didn't know if you'd be able to? Obviously, you really understand the sport now yeah. instinctively more than you ever would have. Boxers have always been working man's heroes. And why? Because they come from nothing and they struggle against the odds to change their life. So there's an empathy between us. I can remember at six, seven, eight years old being underneath my bedclothes listening to the fights coming in from America on a transistor. On the wireless. Radio. On the wireless. And you, you build up dreams of these guys that come out of the mines or come out of the working men's clubs or whatever, and suddenly they're your hero. I developed a love of the sport. I always wanted... Gareth, in all honesty, when I was growing up, I dreamed of being heavyweight champion of the world. Seriously? But I was never, ever going to be any good. I don't know why. So you genuinely dreamt oh, of yeah. that? Yeah. I, 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 to my mind, Ali was the greatest thing that ever walked the stage. But then I used to go behind him. I used to love Dempsey. I used to love Willa. I, mean, I, I followed so many things historically about it. Having the love for that, then moved over to going to watch shows and I thought the shows I was watching didn't help my love, they were poor mismatches Mickey Mouse fights just nicking money off punters occasional good one, poor standard and it it just occurred to me sort of when I got into the sort of 70s I think I could do better than this and I really, my aim was always from day one, uh, and I'm out of boxing now, so it doesn't matter. Are you not involved day to day? I mean, I'm not, not at all involved day to day. Eddie and I discuss it socially. Because we always say privately that you're the boss, though. No, 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 but I'm the boss of the company. In other words, when boxing department comes to me and says, these are our results for the financial year, I have a comment to make. I don't have a comment about an individual host because they're much better than me. Frank Smith, Eddie Hearn, there's 30 people working in matchroom boxing now. It's not a little shop corner business that it used to be part-time for, for Mickey Duff in, you know, in Wardour Street. You know, it's not like that. This is a major global business and it needs the respect. It needs the finance. It needs the, the, the integrity and the honesty that run major global businesses. We're doing deals for hundreds of millions of pounds. Therefore, we've got to make sure that we're running a proper business. It's not a joke, you know, you're, I'm a boxing promoter. Everyone wants to be a boxing promoter. You know, we run a global sports business, 12 different sports, 650 event days this year around the world, 40,000 hours. Two a day, basically. More than two a day sometimes. <laughs> 40,000 hours of television footage. And that's a major business. It's not a fly by night. You know, and we are one of the top UK companies, one of the top global companies in our industry, probably the biggest independent sports promotion company in the world. That brings about a responsibility, and our responsibility is to put on good shows. We'll always get criticised, of course. Put on good shows, look after the fighters, make sure that everyone gets as much value for money as we can possibly give them. And we make money as well. Now, if it all comes together, we've had the perfect life, and there'll be always be a few hiccups along the way. Um, given that this is a boxing show, have you, in the last few years, um, you know, obviously Eddie's done a brilliant job and he's taken it on for you as well. And he, he... I disagree with him all the time. Do you? Yeah, all the time. What's the last disagreement you had? I said, Lomachenko Campbell. I said, that's never going to sell out the O2. I said, Lomachenko's brilliant for us boxing people, but do the wider public know him? And Campbell's a great fighter and a great kid. And the, and the arena sold out in... 
three days. 24 hours. Yeah. Well, so it doesn't surprise me. I mean, I, I remember speaking myself in Vegas to, to Bob Arum and him asking, yeah. what do you think, uh, just kind of asking me as a punter, what do you think? I said, you've got no worries with Lomachenko coming because the British public's interest, A, he won a gold medal in the London 2012 Games. Not that, that everybody knew who he was then, but the general interest yeah. in the likes of people and like him wanna, is huge. I think they, they want a night out. They want to say, I was there. Because exactly. if he does turn out to be one of the best, yeah. best. Oh, I but, think he's already getting see, there. What I'm saying is, life and boxing and life in business are very similar. It's about levels. It's about how you operate. Mm. And, and I'm saying, I'm not having to push anyone there. Eddie has produced a company of some very talented individuals, because you're only as good as the team you've got, that have taken boxing and boxing promotion to another level. And, and that's pretty obvious in the UK. But when I look at America, their boxing promotions in America are largely totally woeful, covered up by one or two big bashes. When you look at the average show in the States, no wonder boxing's gone down the hit and why no wonder UFC's taking it over because they don't give people value for money Eddie's changing that and the shows in the States are getting to be magnificent quality it's still going to take two or three years to convince everyone that boxing's back but he's on his way and he's doing it the right way but I don't know anyone else could do it because it's you've got to have a huge amount of credibility in terms of financial credibility to back your corner because you can't go in as a poor person it doesn't work and you've also got to have the charismatic characters like Joshua and like Eddie. And today's world is about social media followers, old farts like me. We're, we're, we're yesterday in terms of actually milking the podcasts and the, the social media comments that actually sell tickets. I mean, Eddie's got nearly a million followers on Twitter. You know, it's no worry. No wonder he sells his shows out quicker than anyone else. He's only got to put out one tweet. I was sticking up posters outside Bethnal Green Station trying really? to sell tickets. Really? The world has changed. You, you, you literally were with a van and a group of lads sticking posters up. Two o'clock in the morning, if anyone else puts a poster up on top of mine. Cover it. Yeah. Oh, oh, you've got there, things to there'd say. There'd be murders. Murders <laughs> going on. <laughs> it's another world now. We don't even produce posters anymore. No, but you have to acknowledge that the world is a changing place boxers are a changing people they've got better advice they've got more chance of making money and more chance of keeping money and the best advert we can have for boxers is to leave behind us a succession of well done stories the Francis Ampufus the Darren Barkers the Tony Ballous the Carl Frotches independently wealthy carry themselves like gentlemen paying their way respectful and that is the legacy that you want to leave in boxing. It's the best advert for the sport there ever could be. One of the things that is more serious um, that does come up a lot, I wanted to get your views as we kind of close on the hour, is um, uh, performance-enhancing drugs in boxing. It's tightening up all the time. The testing's better. Um, what's your view on, on, on anti-doping in boxing? Zero tolerance for any type of drug. Because there's been talk about, obviously, we, we know about the situation with UCAT. I know it's under lawyers with Dillian White and so on at the moment. You, we, you can't talk about that on this show because, you know, that has to come out yeah, in the process I'm, of time. I'm, but, I'm, I'm, confident, I'm confident that justice will be done at the moment. And I'm confident in Dillian White's case that justice will be done. We just have to wait for that announcement in September. Let's see what happens there. The overall principle of cheating remains as being the death knoll of sport. In a, in a sport like boxing, it has even more repercussions because it can give you an advantage which could actually hurt 
physically hurt your opponent, not just win the fight, but physically hurt him. But it could also end so up in a, in, a, in a corporate manslaughter case or a, or a, or a, or a you know. But at the level we operate at, we can afford VADA testing on all our major fights, and I sleep well at night knowing that is the case. I'm not so sure about lower down the batting order, as we're in a cricket club, that that is practical for smaller fights because those small show, small hall shows are under enough pressure already. Whether this is a government-led thing, we have UCAD, as we know. They are not as detailed as they'll admit themselves as VADA, but they are decent and they have an opinion to be listened to. I just think that this is a battle we have to win because if we don't win it, then sport as we know it ceases to exist. Well, what a brilliant hour in the company of Mr. Barry Hearn. You're listening to Fight Night on TalkSport. My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments. Then, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe came along and changed everything. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, I streamlined my payment process effortlessly. Now I can accept in-person, contactless payments right from my iPhone. No extra hardware required. What's truly remarkable is how I can cater to all of my customers' payment preferences. Whether they're using cards, Apple Pay, or other digital wallets, Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe ensure a smooth checkout experience every time. And it's not just me. Stripe helps businesses of all sizes, from local markets to global retailers, scale quickly and stay agile. To learn how Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe can help grow your revenue and reach, visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.